this week on Invasion the Podcast, November is a better time to not die. Is there some shine left in the director's cut of Dr. Sleep? And I asked Steve about stuff that's old. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and to my left in the same room again, finally, is Steve. I'm back, everyone. Yay! I, uh, I, mean, I guess I wasn't technically gone, we just weren't in the same room. Yeah, but but since you guys like that so much, he is going to be shouting into a bucket for the whole episode. Beside <laughs> me, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then later, I'll go use the bathroom, and I'll leave the phone, or I'll leave the mic on. <laughs> I didn't tell that. Yeah, I did tell the story. Yeah, I did. did. I could not help it. I was laughing too hard. No, Steve's going to just actively urinate in my studio while we're recording. <laughs> um, and then it's going to be like those times where they have the the farm animals pick like the winners of the Super Bowl. We'll just have a couple. We'll have a couple movie posters for this year's releases. Be like, which one's going to be the big hit? <laughs> Stay tuned. Steve will tell you. No. Um, yeah, uh, so this week we're going to be talking about the film, uh, Mike Flanagan's film, Dr. Sleep, uh, the director's cut, um, specifically just because I, dude, a lot of writing out there says that this was the one to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also in conjunction with, we talked about The Shining last year and like the beginning of January. So it's it's been over a year, but I you know just I felt like it would be an interesting thing to come back to. I know that the film's been out since like November. So if you guys have seen it, cool. Please, you know, share your thoughts. If you've not, I'm gonna I am gonna throw a spoiler warning out here. Um, Do you know why they are called spoilers? And I'll throw one again when we get to the feature presentation. You know, because it'd be weird to talk about a sequel to The Shining and not get into like spoiler stuff. Mm-hmm. It would just be weird. Yeah. You know, so that's the spoiler police that's coming right now, uh, coming to get us. Um. So yeah. Um, my weekend, uh, I know we talk about this sometimes. Uh, I, uh, I started watching McMillions. I know you commented on, cause I put a post on Facebook. I was watching it. Uh, I agree with your sentiment about the show. Uh, it's a, it's a six part documentary on HBO that's dealing with the monopoly game scandal of like the, what nineties through 2001, like early, like mid nineties to or no early nineties, 2001. Yeah. Yes. I think it's fascinating, and it's it's funnier than I was expecting it to be. It is interesting. It's fascinating, but at the same time, I feel like it's taken a long time to get where we're going. Um, I know that um, they want to tell the the big story of is it, is it Big Jerry? Is that what they call him or Uncle Jerry? Sorry, <laughs> big, Uncle Big Jerry. Jerry. Big Jerry. Um, I wish they would have like codenamed him Mayor McCheese. Like I know, I know the joke I made is that the series should be called you know, "Making a Hamburglar," but it would have been great if they're just like, "We don't know who uh, Uncle Jerry is, aka Grimace." You're like, you know, like I wish they would have identified all of them. That'd have been great. His uh, underlings are the Fry Guys. Like, just. <laughs> I think the thing that uh, stuck with me though is, is that uh, uh, that operative. I kind of have trouble believing he's actually in the FBI because he's like, "Ah, just wing it." 
I, I could pretend to be a producer. It's fine. Uh, that that guy who anchors a lot of the storytelling. Yeah. I I kind of want to be like, hey, HBO. I don't need him talking about FBI stuff, but can we just have him out in life talking about everything? <laughs> the guy has charisma, and they keep going back to it. He's really funny. Like he, it's just I like how he's just like, well, you know, there's just all that bullshit. He's like, well, it's not bullshit. Like he goes just to keep, yeah, but then he's also uh, at certain points he's like, yeah, you know, and then I get bored with something, so I'd want to find a different case. You know, once the paperwork starts, <laughs> then I'm like, ah, I got to move on. Yeah. But I just so that's kind of where like I had a time sink falling into that. Uh, I will say that one I I do agree with you that it probably could have been told in probably four hours. If not, you, you probably could have told this like in less time. However, I like that it does give some time to breathe for the ripples that come out. Like yeah, these other people are involved and they did profit from it, but are they any happier? Like it is, it just shows like, I don't even know if they profited that much from it because they, no. they took a huge cut of, yeah. And like, you just, it's just, so that's interesting to me that it's like, you think, yeah, these, all these people committed criminal acts, you know, and the hammer dropped on them and we're going to find like the last episodes next week. So I'm sure we'll find out what all happened with all of them. However, it's like, some of them you understand their circumstance, and there's a couple of them. It's like you're human, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you take this opportunity? It's like, yeah, you know. So, I, I like that it gives it time to kind of just exist, and they even go like backwards in time to like the '70s for like just to kind of give you like the person who they were coming into all this. It's like you didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily need it, but I loved it. So it's been fun and consistently fun and interesting, and just um, it feels like to me that HBO is like, hey, Netflix is kicking everybody's ass with these long-form like crime documentaries. What do we got? And I, that's what... Because this feels like it could have belonged on Netflix, you know? And I, again, if this gives me more long-form, like deep investigative like documentary making, I'm all about it. I think Dateline could have done this in 90 minutes. Well, they probably <laughs> did, you know? But like I made the joke to you, I was this like, you should order Morrison. You should have uh, ordered the small size instead of the super, you know, super sized version. But no, yeah, I, I just make that joke because uh, uh, Dateline is one of those shows that you can just pop on at any time, and it's. I know I'm going to be done in 90 minutes, and uh, Keith Morrison's going to ask some interesting questions. And all I can ever think of when I see Keith Morrison anymore is Bill Hader's impression of him, though. <laughs> ah, yeah. ah, yeah, like all the daylight stuff is like, did the ex-wife kill the husband? It's like, yes, yeah, she did. I know we know what's going to happen. Can we get there, please? Like, My favorite thing now, and it's ruined for all documentaries because they they do this all the time, whether it's 2020 or uh, Dateline. The interviewer has to ask the question, and then the other person repeat it back to them. Yeah, um, which I think uh, John Oliver pointed out in a segment, like I don't know, a couple weeks back, or maybe it was last year. But you know, it'd be a question of like, so would you say that he got away with the money? I would say, say he, he got, got away, away with, with money. money. <laughs> and that just makes me think of like the one time when Homer was accused of sexual harassment, and they, they interviewed like it was the episode where he got interviewed. Homer, bad man. Yeah, and then um, and the, you see the clock face in the background, and you see clearly the audio has been edited because the clock keeps moving around, and it was like. Because he, you know, he meant to like, grab a piece of candy yeah. off the person's pants, and it was like sweet can. <laughs> and, <it's> like, <laughs> and then I saw that she had a piece of sweet candy on her, and then I saw her sweet can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so yeah, I've been watching. I've been watching McMillions. Like I, 
you know, like I love movies and everything. And, and, and it, like, there's times where it's like, I want to commit to that, but I always could tell myself, well, movies are too long. I could watch an, uh, an episode of this. And then five hours later, I'm like, Oh, I could have probably watched two and a half movies <laughs> like through all of this. But <laughs> like, I just, the long form storytelling, like this really gets me. And I know it, it's a little hypocritical, but I could, I kind of judge others when it's like I see when something true crime shows up like on streaming services everyone's like oh my gosh have you watched it I'm like yeah there's important things I think that are worthy of watching just to to learn more but there's this weird true like true crime tourism that kind of goes on that I don't I I want to say I'm not part of but then here I am just raving about like I just watched this thing about people stealing money like I, I but I feel like it's not I, like, it's almost like people are actively cheering. Like, I hope there's more bad stuff in the world because I want a six hour series about it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the good news is, is the world's so horrible. We're never going to run out of it. Well, so. th- that wasn't what I was going to take from it, but yeah, that's a good <laughs> point, I guess. I'm here for the optimism. So yeah, everybody's probably like, wow, these, these, all these stories are like 10 years ago. Like, I wonder what bad stuff's going on now. I can't wait. <laughs> like in Netflix, it's just like, Oh, what? You're committing an act of crime right now. Make it into a documentary. We'll give you a series in five years. Like, yeah, no. Or finding out, like, uh, a lot of times how awful justice was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, that seems to be the other piece of it, too. Yeah. So, like, I, I feel like uh, if these people really want some of this stuff, then it's like, you know, Ken Burns has been telling amazing stories about history that are, like, long form. Check out some of his stuff. Like, it, it, like I mean, there's plenty of murder in the Civil War documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was, that was like, that was mostly my weekend. Like it was just a, like, it was, it was a short weekend in the sense that like I had a lot to do. Um, you would ask me before start recording, my wife and I were trying, like we're dipping our toes in looking for a house. That's not going to work out. However, I will give a shout out to our, our, uh, our, our real estate agent, uh, Adam, he, he does listen to the show. So I, I, um, you know, Adam, thank you for taking your Sunday to show us houses that we're not going to buy because we're, we're bad with money, um, in terms of saving up money, but there was something really inherently weird walking into people's houses that were still living there. Like, you know, and it's like, you see stuff, you're like, that's not my stuff. Can I imagine my stuff here? <laughs> like, like the one house we got into, they, they told us in advance that the dogs were like, they had two dogs that are going to be crated. Okay. What, what I, what I say to you, Steve, Hey, come over to my house. Like we're going to be out of there, but if you want to come take a look, you want to go buy it. My dogs are crated. What do you think that means? I think that they're in cages in like one of the rooms of the house. Yeah, that's not what was going on in this house. We go in, hear these dogs, and they 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 they, they were their tails were wagging. They're excited to see people. It wasn't like they were being hostile, but like they were, they look like um like pit like pit mix. So like they're you know broad broad shoulder, big triangle head of a dog, but they're you know excited you know happy to see you. It was like a gate pulled in like a part of the kitchen against like a back door. So like if either one of these dogs got in their head that all they wanted to do was stand up, they'd be over it and we'd be dead. You know, like this is not kindling a dog. This is just putting a single barrier up, trusting that your animals have are, are good enough animals that they won't go rushing at strangers. Yeah, that is an odd choice. <laughs> Um, like I said, the, the dogs seemed happy enough. It's just the, anytime you just turn the corner and made eye contact, they're like, oh, oh, hey, people, 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 you know? I like, mean, honestly, I never even considered that. Like, if uh, we were to, to sell our house um, where we'd have to put the dogs while all that's going on. I would just say uh, let them run free around the neighborhood for a bit. 
Like, <laughs> I know you love your animals, but it's like, you know, it's the whole adage of like, you know, if you love something, set it free. And if it comes back, it's yours. Like, I don't know. I'm joking. That's, te- that's terrible. I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm sure you get phone calls about your animals like after a while. So you would go get them eventually. Yes. <laughs> like just put a big, like a big clock around there and be like, please return me at this time. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was the one just weird thing of just like, Oh, we're literally, like, this is literally the middle of somebody's day and we're just walking around. And so like, I felt like Bruce Willis in the sixth sense, just walking around. Like <laughs> it was, it's a bizarre moment. But yeah, that was my weekend was uh, learning about how nobody won uh, McDonald's and then staring at dogs that weren't mine in people's houses with things that weren't mine either. Cool. So yeah, pretty, pretty exciting weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have much to my weekend. Uh, I, the big thing that we did was we saw the Invisible Man. That's right. I meant to ask you about that. Yeah. My, my wife saw it too. Well, I, did you all see the Invisible Man? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the one thing I can say is is uh um it's an effective update of the story and it's certainly made for contemporary times. Uh, it's a really good movie and the only criticism that I have of it is is that I don't know that it's one that I would throw on just on a Friday night of like oh I'm looking for a fun movie to watch. Well, you no, because it's dealing with like like abuse, right? It's so. it, it's similar to like a sleeping with the enemy type story, but. That's not also one that you throw on where you're like, eh, it's Friday. Like, I would throw on a Universal Monster movie on a Friday yeah. night or something like that just to have some fun. But um, still a good movie. Um, I would recommend it. Seeing it, it was number one at the box office last weekend, so you don't really need to take my endorsement for it. But uh, if you are a horror person or you like the old Universal Monsters, I would strongly suggest you check the movie out. Universal is going to learn the wrong thing from this and be like, oh, they want they want uh, guys that are there are pieces of shit towards the women, and it's like, can we bring Johnny Depp back? It's like, what's they're going to be oh, like? No, what can we do? Well, he's already, I believe, he, he was supposed he, to be part of the Invisible Dark Man universe. Well, yeah, yeah, part of that. Oh, was it was I it the Invisible it was, Man? Yeah. Okay, I was thinking it was Frankenstein for some reason. Maybe, but maybe. I, I thought Harvey Arbardim was part of the Frankenstein thing. Oh, maybe he was. Yeah. Uh, but it'd just be funny where Universal's like, oh, we're going to learn the wrong lessons from this. And then like Warner Brothers is like, hold my beer. And like, <laughs> they go. Um, but no, like my wife saw it uh, with her sister. She loved it. And I just didn't have time. Um, I was actually watching Dr. Sleep while that was going on. So um, I do want to see it. Like, I never thought I would say that I was looking forward to a Lee Wan L film, like because he and um, James Wan, they're the two that did the Saw films originally. And I have... I there, there's a lot I can appreciate about that first film, but there's a lot about that franchise I despise. Um, and I know James Wan's went on to actually have kind of like a is it James Wan? I think yeah, James Wan, no, yeah. I, I um, don't yeah. mind me. I'm looking at my phone. I'm no, if you're going to correct up. me on something, I'm probably no. I'm wrong. not going to correct you on something. I'm just going to. Um, but like, so I was always kind of wary about those guys. But then James Wan went on to do like uh, like the Conjuring and stuff. So it's like the guy has chops, right? And then Lee Wanell, it's like. You know, I was like, okay, well, what's he doing? He actually did the film a couple, like two years ago, called Upgrade. That's what I was going to ask you about because I thought you saw it and really liked it. Yeah, I did. that's what I'm saying. Okay. Like, I that's what I was coming back around to is that it was on HBO and I ended up watching it. And that movie's great. It's it's the it's probably the best Venom movie we're ever going to get. Um, <laughs> uh, and, They're making a second one right now. Yeah, but watch Upgrade. Not tell me that's not Venom. Like in the sense of like what's going on. Uh, and it was inventive, and it, you could tell it was lower budget, but it was awesome and kick ass. And and then when they said he was doing this Invisible Man like update, I'm like, I'm actually like, I was interested. So it's just it's a weird time to be where it's like I've written off both those guys for 
being part of a franchise that I think destroyed a lot of horror for a long time, or I should say changed people's expectation of what horror is like, and it became very, um, I don't know. I feel like the Saw franchise really put a lot of stuff into the gutter. Like, not. I'm not talking like taste wise. I'm just talking like quality and what they always shot for. See, what's like, what's interesting about that is, is I've only ever seen the first Saw movie, and I haven't seen any of the others. Um, I'm more familiar with James Wan and Lee Whannell's other work. So, and mind you, I haven't seen Upgrade, um, but it is on HBO, so I should watch it. Uh, along with uh, John Wick 3 is on there now, and I still haven't seen that yet. Um, you did watch the first two finally, right? Yeah, I, I bought those. The, when the third one came out, they had like a deal on Vudu for like the two of them, I think for 10 bucks or something ridiculous. And since I, and since the... I uh, <coughs> look at your Vudu sometimes, I should, <laughs> I should pay attention to that. So yeah, the first two are in my Vudu, and uh, I still haven't gotten around to watching the third one, but now that it's on HBO, I'll give it a shot. That's a long way for me to go to get to the point where I forgot what I was going to say. No, we're talking about um, Lee Waddell and the Invisible Man and Upgrade. Yes, and, and I was going to go somewhere with the, oh, the Saw thing. Um, so I think of James Wan and Lee Waddell. When I think of them, I think of their other projects. I don't immediately go to Saw. Uh, with that in mind, I showed my wife the, well, no, it was before the Invisible Man. The trailer for Spiral came on, which is Spiral from the Book of Saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Okay. I hadn't watched the trailer because I'm not a sp- I'm not a Saw guy, so I didn't really give it much thought. I'm kind of really interested in what that oh, movie's going to be. I am too, because because uh, the way they're kind of like pitching it is that it's like there's some inspiration, and you you get the jigsaw stuff going on. But Chris Rock's involved. Like you see Sam Jackson in the trailer, you know he's just fodder to be sawed up at some point. You know that, right? <laughs> and it's going to be it's going to be a shark made of buzz saws or something. You because like like you. you he he. It'd be as much as like it would be great to have him through the whole film. It would also be kind of amazing if he had Sam Jackson like the first ten minutes and just out. Like, but I, I thought it was cool that the the trailer didn't lead with Saw stuff. It no. made you think that it was some other movie, and then it people was like, were like, "Is this an update of Training Day?" Like, and yeah. just yeah, I'm I am interested because now I feel like, and this could be a whole other topic, and this is not where I was going to go with this, but um, there is a market now in a good way for a uh, horror that does explore like other um like there well because due to get out and like us uh there's more like black horror showing up you mm-hmm. know and i think that this is like you got chris rock involved and you have you know the black officers and i don't think it's gonna be a race thing but it's being made by people you know of color and i think that's interesting that i want to i want to see that story like the new Candyman, and i cannot remember the director's name that did that i apologize nia like, acosta i think is yeah the name and I'm super excited for this just because we need more. We, we need more. Like I, I want to see these different, different takes. Like I want, you know, and I know this is just the, the old man in me, but there's, there's a part of me that hopes that like, they're going to pull back the curtain on Candyman and it'll just end up being Tony Todd. Well, <laughs> I know that it's not Tony Todd, the movie, but I'm like, I'm like, I'm there's a part of me that's hoping that they're just going to like pull the rug out from underneath us and be like, Oh yeah. Candyman really is still Tony Todd. And- I believe he, it is him, but I also feel like the way the trailer is being pitched, which I hope it is a rug pull that the main character is going to be like influenced and possessed by. So mm. I think you could still have Tony Todd be Candyman in that sense, you know, but no, I mean like, no spiral. I'm interested. Maybe, you know, as long as the problems I have with the saw franchise. And again, this is not this episode is that I got tired of them being like, Whoa, this is all messed up. Now let's show Let We're going to show you how we did it. It's like either, either you take me through the process 
But then all, they do that in later the later series where all the games and stuff would start or like the different devices. And it's like, you know, they're not going to get out of this. Like now it's just a now it's just one big Rube Goldberg device of like, well, all right, the waffle drops and now the marble rolls over. And like what eventually is their head going to come off? Like, but like the first movie, it was always like you'd see the dead body and then they do a flashback to how they died. And it's like, no, 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 no. Give us not showing us makes this way more horrific. And mm. Saul became all about like, like the punchline as opposed to like the tension. And, yeah. And I'm hoping maybe like you got to have that, you know, you have to have the ticking clock of some of the games and things or, or what do you call them? Devices and punishments. But I'm hoping there's a way that you could wade that and weave it through where there's actually like tension alongside, you know? So I'm hoping. Yeah. I was just going to say, I can't throw stones just simply because a, um, you described every other horror franchise as well. Unfortunately, whether it be Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween, or, but okay, uh, but the, when when the movie is, when it's predicated on how's this guy doing this, and the cops are always like a second too late, then do you necessarily need to see like? So I always make the joke, and it, I, I know I'm kicking a dead horse that's been attached to multiple devices, ripped it apart. That I, I loved Saw when it was called Seven. Because mm-hmm. that movie just leaves everything in its wake for you to be like, what did he do? And they they tell you, but they don't show you. Like you never actually see him actively do anything to anybody. Well, you don't see him doing it, but you see the after effects. Yeah, and you see. But but how much weaker that film would have been if you saw Kevin Spacey walking around that guy's apartment, kicking him square in the like the overweight dude square in the stomach. Like you just you come in with. You know, Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman seeing that, like the aftermath. It's like that's the 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 the, the stillness of whatever just happened is way more like just devastating to me. You know, and like Seven, like you had the dude that was uh, that was um, stuck with the the leather um, like sex gear that had the the knife places we we're not going to get into, and him talking about what he did. It's like that's way more like you you. You could show it, but his performance just just took you to horrible places. Yeah, that actor's an interesting guy, and I can't think of his name right yeah, now. Yeah, he stayed up for like 48 hours before he shot that scene, too. Did he? But yeah. He, what's funny is, is because he came, I used to watch ER back in the day, and uh, he became an actor, or he became an actor, he became a character on ER, and I think he was on for at least like three or four seasons, but every time I saw him, I was just like, that's the guy from Seven. <laughs> yeah. So you wear a trench coat. What's underneath there? No. Um, what'd you do? No. Uh, so anyway, he the, made me put it on. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to. We could talk about Seven at some point. I think that'd be that'd be an interesting episode. That movie holds up in a lot of ways. But yeah. Uh, so anyway, not sure how we. Wait, you saw Invisible Man. You liked it. Uh, I'm excited for more Lee Wan Al stuff now, and I'm excited that there's other Saw stuff that maybe those guys aren't touching. (laughs) But it's weird because the previous Saw film that had come out was done by all the two brothers that had, was it brothers, that had done Daybreakers? Uh, they're the, not like, the, like, they're, like they're so. like New Zealand or Australian. They did another film called Undead that was a lot of fun. I've not seen that film, and I heard it's not. I've not seen their Saw film. And I heard it's not great. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to like you know pop your bubble, but the director of the new Saw movie, I believe, directed parts two and three. Well, all right. So now I'm not. Um, <laughs> it's, bubble it's popped. Like, Darren Lynn. Bowsman, I think, is uh, his oh. name. So, 
Yeah. Um, Saw 2 pisses me off. Like it just does because it was a spec script that wasn't even a Saw film, but the film, the first film did so well, they made so much money so fast. Like what can we green light to turn into a Saw film? So they, they crowbarred this other film into a Saw film, which is fine. Well, the one thing that I'll say about that is, is that sometimes when it comes to those types of decisions, I think it's really hard to hold that against a director who's trying to get his name out there. Oh no, no, you're, it's just, you're absolutely right. I, I guess, um, there's a film out there called Cube, which I'm sure I've talked about before. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Gleaming the Cube? No, it's the... not Gleaming the Cube. It's oh. It's not involving skateboarding. It's involving a prison. And Cube is a really low budget um, a Canadian film. It's actually directed by that guy that just did the In the Tallgrass adaptation that's on Netflix, the Stephen King and um, Joe Hill uh, story that became a movie called In the Tallgrass. It's Netflix original. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Natali? Something like that. He did a uh, splice. He did a couple other things too. So it's like, it was his first film and it's a really twisty, interesting concept. And then you watch that. You're like, wow, that was kind of cool. And then you watch saw two and you're like, okay, they just, no one's going to acknowledge that cube existed. It felt like a complete like rip off. So okay. I throw stones at me. People fight me about it. It's fine. Um, I don't yeah. think anybody's going to fight you. Yeah. There's whatever. So anyway, I, um, but yeah, if we ever want to talk more about that stuff, we can, you like the invisible man. Sorry. <laughs> and we are done with the, uh, Oh, we haven't even gotten to the news. We are <laughs> done with the, uh, weekend talk at, I'm pretty good. I was like, saying like, Oh, look at that. It's been 25 minutes. So yeah. All right. I mean, Steve's in person with me now. I can let my true feelings out. Let's just get to the news. Good news, everyone. Not good news. Um, there's the 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 coronavirus, the COVID nineteen that is, um, you know, people are worried about, and rightfully they should take the right precautions and you know, like wash your hands, wash your damn hands, people. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, you should not need a virus to be running rampant for you to, you know, to get you to wash your hands. Yeah. So there's been film there's been film releases that are being content, that possibly pushed back, and one of them actually was uh, was the new uh, 007 James Bond film No Time to Die. It was supposed to come out uh, uh, in April, but now it's been pushed back to 20, November 2020 because of the fear that the film will come out and then there will be people wanting to stay home and it will just kill the box office. Well, I, I think also a considerable piece of that is China, uh, their box yes. office, which yeah. they can't, uh, to my understanding is, is that I don't, I believe they're still under like, I don't want to say martial law because that's not the correct no, work so, term, the no, quarantine. The majority right now. Well, so they're under quarantine, but the majority of China is like state run. So when they put the clamps down, they put the clamps down. Right. Yeah. So nobody's going to the movies because I believe the theaters are, are closed and haven't been up and running. So, um, you know, they're they're looking at it not only from a position of like we don't want to lose sales, sales everywhere else, but these markets that are a big piece of our you know, of our, our change that we're going to make on this is... And some of this stuff might be co-financed by, like, some Chinese, uh, you know, uh, properties, because, mm -hmm. like, you'll see, like, a lot of that now. Like, some of the Transformer stuff, there is some co-financing, so it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I know also the other big thing people worried about, people, the, the people have been talking about is that uh, Disney's Mulan live-action, people are worried that, because it's supposed to come out toward, in, like, April, and they're like, are we going to do that now? You know, so... 
that like this is this shows you the impact of like what this can do, you know. I and I just again, before we start recording, I just thought it was like you, you your film's called No Time to Die, and you purposely keep it away <laughs> uh, from you know the release during a viral outbreak. I you know I don't obviously it's not on purpose, but I'm like oh, that's not the best title, right? Like, you know, um, yeah, I just it makes sense to me like if you're trying to protect your investment. And then, you know, and, and also in this sense, it might actually give, I know the film was ready to be released, but what if it gives them a few more, like, you know, months to like work on the editing, tighten the pacing or whatever, you know, like, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I don't think so either. And when it comes to movies having that extra time, I know that uh, some directors would probably kill to get that. So yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. Well, and I know, I think Daniel Craig's hosting Silent Live this weekend. Oh, is he? So that'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it, it, but it's just going to be a thing that it has to be considered, right? Like, uh, but I also, it's weird to be seeing like film delays that everyone's like, oh, I don't know. It's like it it will come out when it comes out. Like I like um, there's that film, The Hunt, which we talked about previously. Yeah, is like now coming out. I, I'm going to bet it's going to do better now than it did when it was supposed to be released because it had been taken away from people from like, you know, what, six, eight months. So, you know, James Bond's going to make its money. I think, I think them being smart and being like, we're going to save it for whenever, hopefully, you know, we've done the right things and have curbed this and uh, people can go out and enjoy movies and not worry about, you know, like the more important thing is being safe and being healthy. You know, I don't think that's like, I don't think that's a bad move. And I guess I was also reading too, not by, I guess I, I, I was reading uh, that this actually aligns with how other Bond films were released anyway. They were always released in the fall. So this isn't really, you know, it's not out of character for the Bond franchise. I also think it's a Bond film, so it's going to do well unless. And it's and, the last one for, um, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, Craig. you know, unless it really, you know, shits the bed. But at the same time. I can't think of a Bond film that hasn't come out and done Gangbusters, so it's it's really hard to disprove that theory anyway. So yeah, I mean, Quantum of Solace did okay, but it didn't do great. But then after that, you got um, uh, Skyfall, which was awesome. Um, I it's weird. I'm not a big Bond guy, but like everyone's like, you got to give the Daniel Craig stuff a chance, and it's good. You know, I've not watched uh, Spectre yet. I, I haven't. Um, uh, I haven't seen Quantum of Solace or Spectre. I've only seen uh, Casino Royale and uh, and uh, Skyfall? Skyfall, the movie where they turn him into Batman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, oh, but- he's an orphan, and he comes from a rich family with a mansion, and he had a butler? Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, you're right. Uh, it just, <laughs> I, I, Quantum of Solace is, I think it's perfectly okay, but it's one of those ones that if you wanted like a two-hour coda to Casino Royale, that's where it is. Uh, it's just it, as a standalone film, it's not great, but I ended up watching them like back to back the same day. Okay. So it actually felt a lot better to me, but it, but yeah, I've liked the Craig films. I'm not a big bond guy, which is funny. Cause I think I've talked about on the show previously that, um, my problem with James Bond is that he's never really in peril because it's like, you're gonna have another bond film, but it's like, cause he's supposed to be human, but I'm like, could I have 87 Spider-Man films? Like, I don't know why. When it's a superhero, I'm like, well, it's okay. They can come back or they're just a superhero. Where I'm like, Bond, I'm like, they're supposed to be the limits of like physical, like, you know, he's going to lose one time, right? Like, just. Yeah, it's it's hard not to be a hypocrite sometimes because you're like, I like this thing, but I don't like this other thing. And then they're almost 
interchangeable yes. in a lot of aspects. So when they were teasing the idea, and this is something that's even being teased with this film, is that the designation uh, 007 could just be a designation and like the name James Bond could just be like a title. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of like that because it's the mantle being passed. Yeah. But then again, it feels very British where it's like, it's Doctor Who. Well, that's the new Bond. Like, it's, I'm okay with that, though. I mean, there's been, what, five different Bonds at this point? Like More than not? five, I think, yeah. Um, but I know there's been like 14 Doctors, so whatever. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just talking about how there's, this is going to impact like going forward. And I'm sure... Uh, Disney is probably uh, breathing a sigh of relief that Infinity War and Endgame came out, uh, or Endgame came out last year. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, whoo, you know. So, yeah. Uh, but this is the first big studio release that's pushed back, um, and I'm sure we'll see a couple more. I did see that uh, Black Widow. I think is May, and you know, if if it's not better within a couple of months, we might see that get pushed back too, which would yeah. make sense. But the, I think this also gives it like some of the smaller studios a chance to like, maybe not like, you know, in China and Japan, but to kind of like, there might be, there might be this weird moment of where there's like stuff like, like not that I'm saying that the invisible man wasn't like a release people were excited for. They were, but, but uh, Blumhouse doesn't put the biggest, they don't have the biggest budgets. Mm-hmm. And for them, if they strike big, it's a jackpot, you know, but right. then, but their return on investment isn't like the, the margins aren't as, as, as razor thin as some of these bigger movies. Maybe we'll end up seeing a couple of these things that wouldn't normally have a chance to compete kind of get out there. That might be kind of fun. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what would be out there because I mean, clearly, I'm not paying attention. But it'd be cool if like a weird like like genre film no one would have saw coming was like it's number one at the box office. Why no one's going to the theater? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Blumhouse is actually going to re-release and rebrand Fantasy Island. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, it's like no, no, this is how Birds of Prey breaks even. It's like, hey guys, you want to you want your uh, you want your superhero film? We got it. It's your only option, you know. Um, so yeah, did you have anything else about uh, about Bond being pushed back? No, I I think it's interesting that we live in a time where like this is one of the first like headlines that popped up. I mean, obviously everything now is tailored to your interests, but like I got an alert. I'm like, this is not like some sort of national you know emergency. It's just a movie being pushed back. So yeah, and it's like do you remember. You could tell me, like, growing up, like, I know we, we've talked about Star Wars in the show, like, once or twice. Uh, it's come but, up, I think. But, like, I know that, like, once they finally get a release date, it's kind of, like, there. But that wasn't always the case back in the day. It was always, like, we hope it's coming and they've announced it, but we don't know the exact date. Like, it was always kind of this thing, like, when they had these bigger releases. Um, now it's, like, they announced stuff two years in advance with the date. And it's, like, then it almost becomes, like, well, hell or high water, we got to hit that date. It's, like, you don't... I get that there's a certain amount of like expectation and also marketing stuff, but if things aren't lining up and you like, I don't see the biggest of deals. If I, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have my finger on society now where it's like, if something doesn't show up when it's expected, then people forget about it. I just um, like, have you seen any teasers recently for that Disney film that Artemis Fowl? thing it's like it's like a young adult thing that's like it was a series of books so it's like it's disney trying to do like a harry potter thing it's not it's not fantasy based seen anything on that there was teasers and trailers like i i swear like a year ago for that thing and now it's coming like there's more of it coming out now it's like i don't know if that got pushed back and then disney just kind of kept it quiet for a second i don't know like i just who knows you know 
Yeah, I honestly have not seen anything for that. I do feel like, uh, oh, you know, I, I, I don't have a point of reference. So I, I was trying to think of a movie that I, I remember like seeing. A, a, well, New Mutants is a good. Yeah, that's a good example. Like, good example. Somehow, I think it's still getting good buzz, even though it got pushed back an entire year. You know, yeah. like, uh, but it's like now though, when you get like prestige television, and maybe that's what happens because I think it comes out in April. Yeah, maybe <laughs> New Mutants is, cleans up. Is that, is that is that movie just cursed to never have the right <laughs> circumstance? Um, no, but it's like you have a prestige TV show. Like I know, um, like Better Call Saul just came back for its new season. Uh, but it was like, was it like two years between seasons? Like, there's been gaps in some of that stuff. Like. Where people are like, well, we know it's coming, and like they're just hopeful for a date, and until they get closer to the actual release date, people don't know, you know. But they're always, they, but they know it's out there, you know. I feel like TV is more forgiving. I wish TV, I, American TV in particular, would learn some lessons from British TV, uh, simply because, well, y- even on the American side, like, um, you know, I've talked, maybe I haven't talked about it on the show recently, but. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is a show that I've really gotten into yeah, lately. Yeah, I think I told you I, I started finally watching it. I got a couple episodes in. I, I loved what I saw. Just I haven't got back to it. But yeah, um, but that was like the first episodes were like 2000? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, like 2000 or 2002. And there's been 10 seasons. So yeah, I think it is 2000. I think it's 10 seasons in 20 years. So yeah, it's weird because I'm looking at it now and Larry David looked old then. Yeah. <laughs> And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> uh, Richard Lewis, really, like, if you look at his aging too, like, wow, he looked he looked old then. So does yeah. he, is he just like, is he just like a scarecrow that's pushing around <laughs> sticks now? Is that what's going on? But I, I wish that we could have more seasons like that. I wish that we could have, you know, a show that it's like, you know, what we're not going to do an episode for two years because we don't have anything good. Like sometimes we'll beat things into the ground. Yeah. Uh, like for instance, and I uh, cover your ears, Jeff Ritchie, if you're listening, but I honestly don't think the office was stronger in like its last two to three years. I, th- I don't I think felt that, like it. I don't it, think anybody, I don't, I don't think anybody disagrees with you. And I just, I can't help but wonder like, what if they'd have taken time off and like taken two years off and then come back with a full season with all the cast yeah. and maybe you wouldn't have lost uh, Steve Carell. Maybe you wouldn't have had to spend so much time trying to find your footing after that. Yeah. Um, I keep thinking uh, right now is the perfect time to bring Parks and Rec back. And I realize that Chris Pratt is super busy making, you know, Marvel movies and Jurassic Park movies. But I I can't help but wonder, like, what if they got like six episodes of Parks and Rec and they just got everybody to back together? Yeah. And what, oh, who was like, the guy? What was the guy in the first two seasons? Was it, was his name Paul? He was the yeah. guy. Like, I was really, really hoping they'd get back around to him for like a second <laughs> in the final season because, you know, you forget about him and it's like, he's actually he's actually a funny guy. Yeah. And it's like, it'd be funny to be like, well, what happened to him? You know? Right. <laughs> um, no, but it's like, I, I, yes, I think a couple episodes of that would be great. Um, not, you know, you're right. I, with this, I'll give another example too. Like Rick and Morty, they've spent like a year and a half between seasons. Yeah, and and then this most recent season they put out, they put out just the first half of the season, and said, okay, well, give us a few months, we'll give you the other five episodes. I, I'm okay with that because they gave me five just to watch over and over again because I'm an idiot and I love that show. But those are ready; they were good to go. They didn't have to wait for all ten, and they gave us enough, and we could wait another like six months to a year. You know, like South Park now does that where. They only put out like eight episodes a year, okay, because they realized that 
their time commitment just they just weren't putting out what they wanted to do and they just they're they've lowered their number per season and, and it's not yeah. like they're trying to hit a n- number for syndication no or you know no, what i mean yeah. like they've been doing it so long um and again i feel like this is unfavorable since i'm not watching new simpsons but i do think like oh if they took a couple years off and then did a new episode of the simpsons i'd probably be more interested because it's yeah. been around for so long now that i just i'm like oh I, I watched the same 10 seasons that i watched before which is the right decision <laughs> um but, but i will say the most recent episode dealt with uh with bart seeing um like basically they they saw uh infinity war in the theater i forget what they call it It was the marble universe marble cinematic universe okay. with magnesium man and like i forget who else was in it <laughs> but then everybody's like you know just devastated that wait a year and then, um, and then something happens where uh, Bart inadvertently sees a, like the the end game, whatever they call it, and because he knows the film's coming out in a month, at that point he has the power to destroy everybody's lives because he has spoilers. Okay, <laughs> and so it's actually it's it's not like for for a later day like Simpsons, it's pretty fun. Okay. Like he he uh, punishes comic book guy. Like it's it's pretty good. So you should probably check out that one. All right, and just like. The very Simpson esque way of that they make fun of the different like Marvel Universe characters, but and also the um oh uh the um freaking the brothers, the directors, the um their names, the guys directed the Russo the, brothers. The Russo brothers. They they make an appearance in the episode. They don't play themselves. Well, I think they kind of do, but they have some pretty good lines because those guys know how to like make a joke happen. So mm-hmm. you should check out that episode. All right. It's I think it's called Bart the Bad Guy or whatever, but yeah, it's uh it's it's funny. Uh but you're right. I think so another example I'll give to you, and then we'll go into the next story. I know we're, we're the dragon news on here because that's what we do here at Invasion. Um, is uh, video game development like uh, every like you end up getting these games where it's like people are expecting it, and then you, like a month before release, like you almost have to like hold your breath. It's like, is it coming? And they're like, it's delayed till the end of the second part of the year. Like, oh. like, but it's kind of baked <laughs> in, and it's like, and most people should be happy that they're actually be like, you know what, we cannot release this the way it is. You know, um, there was one recently that was announced that was pushed back to the second half of the year and everyone's upset about it. It's like, if they need six months to tighten it up and not make everybody pissed off, give them that six months, you know, like what's the harm you have, you have so much other media to consume in the meantime. Wouldn't you rather have something be like, like just like just polished to a shine as opposed to broken that gets patched repeatedly. And then you're already pissed off that the experience isn't good to begin with. Like you can't patch a movie after they tried doing that with cats. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. Anyway, next story. Next story. Speaking of going back to the well, uh, uh, Hocus Pocus, uh, the film that I, I, um, people got mad at me, including my wife when I said, uh, (laughs) when I said Hocus Pocus is what Ghostbusters, uh, sorry, Hocus Pocus is to girls in the early nineties. What the Ghostbusters was to guys in like the eighties. And she got kind of mad at me. And I'm like, I'm not wrong. I like, don't think you're wrong either. <laughs> or, or I even I even equated it. To, I think I equated it to Space Jam for like that kind of nostalgia. <laughs> However, I will say this. Uh, it's, it, Hocus Pocus isn't like my favorite movie, but it's it's a, a really watchable movie. And there's some fun bits to it. That I'll say that. It's just, you know, it's not it's not my jam, but there it's are some good jokes space in it. Jam? It's not my Space Jam. And Space Jam is not my Space Jam either. Uh, but... You know, I watched it recently, uh, and there's fun stuff in there. Like, you know, it, but it's not my favorite movie. But there is a fandom there, and people have been clamoring for it. Uh, it's, it's been announced that there's actually going to be a sequel that is being made uh, that's going to be for Disney Plus. 
And I don't think that's the worst call. I think that's actually a pretty good call. I think it's a good call, too. And again, it's unfair of me to say this simply because I know it's a highly well-regarded film that I still haven't watched, but I'm wondering... You've never seen Hocus Pocus? No. Well, that too, but... um, I was thinking in the lines of how there was all this momentum to get a sequel to Blade Runner to come out. Oh. And then it did, and no one went to the theaters to see it. I did. Okay. You and, like, two other people went and saw it That's the true. Yeah. And uh, that's not me, like, you know, that's not me shitting on the film, because I, I haven't seen it. I bought it. three tickets, because I wanted to pretend I had friends to go see it. <laughs> what actually happened. But I know that that was one where they were like, what went wrong? And it's like, well, it's a <laughs> cult film that... What went wrong is that you made a sequel, like, 40 years after the first film, that no one went to go see the theater to begin with either. Like, right. what did you... What did you think was going to happen? So I feel like, you know, Hocus Pocus might actually have more momentum behind it, but I think that they're not taking the risk of, like, putting it in the theater when they've got to compete with, well, themselves in a lot of ways, unfortunately. But Well, I feel like Disney in general, like, we talked about Disney Plus and how, like, outside, like, I mean, there's plenty of content there. However, now that Mandalorian's wrapped, I've not looked at it for a while. Um, but they know that like they have these existing franchises and like day one, when the series came you know, came out, they had that, um, that live action, um, um, lady and the tramp available. So that was another draw to the streaming service. This, I feel like is another, another bolt in their gun of like, you want the sequel to Hocus Pocus come to our service. Right. Like, I think that I think telling somebody to pay like eight bucks a month to go watch this movie is a bigger, it's an easier sell than asking for like, you know, uh, like, advertising costs in the theater and having people go out to, you know, like this is, this is a niche genre. Well, I mean, even going back to Cloverfield three on Netflix debuting after the Super Bowl, Bowl, like it was never going to get that kind of reaction. Had it gone theatrical? Like I think that keeping some of these things, I wouldn't have seen the theater. You know, I think keeping some of these things on your digital platforms is probably for the best. And, uh, as we move towards the discussion of Dr. Sleep, and it has nothing to do with the quality of the film, I think it has everything to do with the underwhelming performance at the box office. I think it didn't do bad, it just didn't do as well as they had hoped. Yeah. I feel like Dr. Sleep would have been a movie that if it had been on you know, Netflix as an exclusive or whoever, people would be raving about it. And people are raving about it critically, but I think it would have like blown the doors off of, we've got the sequel to The Shining on our, you know, yeah, our digital service, and we'll talk more about the framing of what Netflix has done. I guess if you want to mention that, we'll talk about that more in a second because uh, they've they've had some some Stephen King originals on there, um, and the Saturday slasher coming soon. Uh, so God willing, <laughs> it's going to be a five part documentary that Stephen will be like, you know, could have done him for. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we know it's Detective Jeff Saturday. That's what we know. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, all right. Um, so yeah, Hocus Pocus Two is coming. Uh, you know, we don't know if the original cast is going to get involved. However, if if Disney understands their market, they need to get them involved in some capacity. I I know you'll get uh, Catherine and Jimmy. Like I know she's available. Like not that she's like working for scraps, but like you know she was Peggy Hill. She she's not. She doesn't need the money, but it's like I'm sure she'd come back because she had fun in that. You could tell she had fun in that role. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, I don't know if she has, like, you know, elevated beyond this and is just doing, like, Sex and the City stuff from now on. I don't know. Bette Midler, I don't – maybe – she had fun with the character. Mm-hmm. 
I guess it comes down to script. Well, my my feeling is is they'll probably split the three characters up, um, and we won't actually see Sarah Jessica Parker to the last like minute of the sequel, mm-hmm. and then uh, oh. we'll spend the following movie. <laughs> It took me a second to see where you're going. With Finding this. out what happened to Sarah Jessica Parker, oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. and that sequel will be hated by many of its fans. Yeah, we don't. And what then, you guys didn't realize is that the third movie in the series is actually going to be directed by Ryan Johnson, <laughs> and everyone's going to be like, "He made a Hocus Pocus film. He ruined my childhood." <laughs> As as I am excited to give you a digital download code for Knives Out tonight. That's what you know. So I uh, want to see Knives Out. Oh, I, it's so we've good. We've gone over yeah. this before. Yeah, I, I think Ryan Johnson's a really talented I know. guy. So <laughs> all right. So all right. Last story here. Uh, then we'll move on to uh, Doctor Doctor Sleeps. Um, so uh, this was from like two weeks ago, but I don't know if you saw the story. McGruff, the crime dog actor, jailed. Was put in jail. Did you see the story? I'm trying to remember if I, I feel like I saw this. Was it on John Oliver by chance? No. Okay. Um, no, he did a whole thing about uh, Gritty being uh, acquitted. Oh, for, that's you know, right. Yeah. Okay. Where did I see this yeah. then? Uh, Gritty, the mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers, who I loved. And did I show you <laughs> when you came over for my Super Bro party where we watched action movies? Did I show you the Gritty sauce I <laughs> yeah. bought? Like. It's not the best sauce, but it has his face with his big <laughs> devil eyes on it. I'm like, and I was drunk the one night. I'm like, I have to get some gritty sauce. And it's like, I paid for shipping. I overpaid for shipping for gritty sauce. Can't you just go to Pittsburgh and get it? It's Philadelphia, thank oh, you. I'm sorry. And also, no, sorry. you can't. Just, I think gritty sauce would be thrown like if if so. The rivalry between the Flyers and the Penguins is it's it's pretty heated. Let's just put like you you would not see Flyers stuff in Pittsburgh. That's well, I'll say that. Um, and also, this this the sauce is not made by Heinz, so you know that they'd be oh, like, get okay. it out of here, you know. So anyway, so here's the story: a man who used to play McGruff the crime dog uh, didn't take a bite out of crime. Crime took a bite out of him. This is from Time Magazine, so that's funny that they're getting kind of kind of silly with this. Uh, John Morales was uh, uh, arrested in 2011 in Galveston, Texas, after a drug sniffing dog detected pot when he was pulled over for speeding. Police then found diagrams of uh, two indoor grot growing pot growing operations and a plethora of marijuana seeds. They raided his house. They found a thousand marijuana plants, 9,000 rounds of ammunition for an assortment of 27 weapons, including a grenade launcher. Wow. Well, it is Texas. Yeah. So he pleaded guilty and uh, he was going to serve 16 years in jail. Wow. Well, how old was he when his McGruff's been around for like ever? This actor was 41 at, like at the time. I think at, you know, at, at the time now. he was arrested. Yeah, I think so. Um, or now something either way, but this is someone who was the played McGruff. Like in he's terms younger of, than I am. How is that possible? Well, I don't know. I mean, just again, like if, if James Bond can change actors, I think <laughs> McGruff, the crime. Dog I guess can, that's yeah. fair. I just, when I saw that it was McGruff, I just assumed it was like a 70 year old man. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, so I just, the fact that like this person was trusted to actually go to schools and go to kids and be like, ah, you just, crimes are bad. But don't let don't let the state of Texas tell you, you can't grow pot and keep a grenade launcher in your house. <laughs> Take a bite out of crime and a rip off of this doob. You know, uh, so, wow. Yeah. I just like it would almost be like you find out like the actor playing Smokey the Bear caused the Australia wildfires to happen. Like what? <laughs> like 
Uh, he was smoking a cigar and threw it out into the, the you know, uh, out into the forest. And he purposely started a for, he, st- he purposely started a campfire and just like he he just watched it start the fire. Like he didn't even care, you know. And then he walked away. And then he walked away, slow motion with it all blowing up in the background. So yeah, McGruff, the crime dog, uh, caught. I guess it, you know. I guess the title kind of tells you he is the crime dog. Like we all always thought that that was the dog that fought crime. That he should have been called McGruff the crime fighting dog. If that's the case, I guess if you're calling him the crime dog, then he's going to do crimes. They, you know, they, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah. All right. Enough about that. It's Steve. It's, it's good to be like back in the same room with you because guess what? We're almost at a full hour. Put us in a room together. <laughs> Tangents will happen. <laughs> but. Talk about Secret and M. We have 20 minutes to talk and we're out. No. No. All right. So, yeah, we're uh, enough about news, whatever. We're just going to get to uh, some some uh, director's cut of Dr. Sleep. And now for our feature presentation. All right. So uh, 2019's Dr. Sleep. Just got to let everybody know that um, I decided in honor of doing a sequel to The Shining, uh, in the great state of Colorado, I would uh, drink their their native sun, uh, the Coors Light, which was that wasn't that the beer that the bandit had to bring across to Florida from like Texas? I believe so. I believe you you uh, referenced told me, that yeah, before. You, yeah, yeah. I, I think I probably came up with that. As Coors like, seems to be a, a recurring theme on this show, <laughs> considering a Coors banquet with the uh, um, oh yeah Cobra well, Kai episode. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, so I decided, cause I was like, what other Colorado beers are there? Like, and I'm just like, I'm sure there's like, like, uh, micro brews and like stuff that I could think of, but I was like, Coors Light, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yes. Um, like I so said, we talked about the shining about a year ago, uh, the Stanley Kubrick film, which was a, a loose interpretation of the Stephen King book. Uh, this, this new movie, Dr. Sleep is an interpretation of the book, Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to the shining well it's a sequel stephen king wrote dr sleep and it's a sequel to stephen king's the shining mm-hmm. and so mike flanagan which i know we like you actually brought mike flanagan to my attention uh many moons ago yes one of our one of our wheel of death segments that we did was his film hush right that mm-hmm. was the one with uh the stalker with the girl who was deaf correct that's actually it's a pretty cool little movie yeah, I'm a real big fan of that movie. Yeah, so then he also went on to do uh, Gerald's Game, which there's some connections with, not just cast, but there's some weird things that happen in this movie that are big connections. Okay, I've not seen Gerald's Game. Uh, I don't know why I've been putting it off, but I think it may be that I just, I've heard that it's pretty unnerving, and so I haven't It's troubling. It. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and it's the, when it gets graphic, meaning as in the gore, it doesn't shy away from stuff. And, but I would also argue that Dr. Sleep doesn't shy away either. So No. Uh, and then Flanagan went on to do uh, The Haunting of Hill House for Netflix, which I have not seen. I know you have. Yeah, Haunting of Hill House is amazing. Yeah. And I know they're working on a second season. They are. And I, it's that's one of those like sins of my part that I've not watched it yet. Um, so and I know he's done some other stuff too, but that's mainly what I know him from is from Gerald's Game and um, Hush. And I just – and he, he reminds me a lot of um, – oh, the names out of my mind now. The other director that likes Stephen King's works a great deal. Um, the guy that did The Walking Dead originally. Frank Darabont? Frank Darabont. Why is that name escaping me? Like, <laughs> I'm not talking stylistically. I'm talking like they they hold a reverence 
mm-hmm. for for Stephen King's work, and they've done multiple you know um, film adaptations of his stuff. So uh, yeah, so this was a film, Doctor Sleep. Uh, it you know you could almost feel like this got the green light because like a film like it. Like the 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 it part one. There's a resurgence right now with King's work. There's no doubt about it. And and also be, like R rated like yeah. horror, right? So, uh, so you feel like that that is why this kind of got greenlit. And also, you know, so we're I don't know where to start with this because I could talk about the book a little bit, but the, this follows the book for a great deal, and then it doesn't. You know, and it's like, but then there's also the issue too, not issue, but how, how Mike Flanagan, you can tell that he has such a love of King's work, but also has a great love of Kubrick's The Shining. And how do you go, how do you take that and then go to the guy who wrote the book that has kind of been on record for a number of years talking about how much is not like the film version of The Shining and being like, hey, I want to do your book, Dr. Sleep, but here's an idea. Like how do you how do you get there? You know. So I think it might be interesting, and I know it was over a year ago that we did our episode where we both looked at the The Shining just to kind of discuss revisit it, it yeah. revisit it, and see if our feelings had changed on it. Um, because you and I, I think, are both people who are of a, among a very few who don't care for it or don't like it as much as other people like, do. I there, like I think where we landed on it was uh, if I if I recall that. We were not the biggest fans to begin with. However, watching it again with like kind of fresh eyes because it had been so long since you and I both watched it where there's so much mastery in it to be appreciated and there's a lot of good stuff. It's just that it doesn't it doesn't bowl us over like others. Right. Like yeah. if you take the baggage away from it, it's a really interesting film. But if you take the expectation and baggage into it, then I start having problems. For me, I think it's the fact that one, yes, it's Kubrick, so it's masterfully directed, it's gorgeous to look at, it's visually interesting, there's not a waste frame in the film. I never got on board with the plight of the, the characters. Yeah. Um, so that was my stumbling block for that story, and it still is, unfortunately. And that says more about me than it does the movie itself, because a lot of people are able to take that in and really enjoy the journey that Jack Torrance goes on, which I don't really feel like is that much of a a journey. I think I described it previously as he starts off as an asshole and just as a bigger asshole at the end of the movie. Point point A is being angry. Point point A is also angry. (laughs) Right. So um, that was my big problem with, with the sequel with, with that in or with the sequel, I'm sorry, with the original, with that in mind, I hadn't read the book, so I didn't have a context for that. Um, And, what I find interesting about this, and, and we can talk about this as we go along, is is that, and again, I'm just going to throw my cards out on the table here. How is it that I fell in love with a sequel to a movie that I don't like? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you've been on record to say how much you despise the first Alien film, you know? Like, I'm just, like, <laughs> and you've also told me that the first Nightmare on Elm Street is not good, and you like uh, Freddy's Revenge much better. <laughs> And also, you're like, when Jason finally shows up on Friday the 13th, now we get cooking. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so you loved you loved Dr. Sleep. I, I really did. Okay. And I, I, again, cards on the table, I was kind of dreading watching it. Okay. Because I, I wasn't sure what my reaction was, and I'm like, oh, God, is it going to be a, a three-hour slog back through a movie that I didn't care for that is universally loved, and it, it, it bothers me that I don't love it? Like, 
I, yeah, you kind of wish that you could be in the room, people would be like, yeah. "Oh my god!" But it's like, yeah. like I don't want to be that guy in the corner, and be like, "I don't know." Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's fun to be the contrarian sometimes, but not with the stuff where it's right. like life would be a lot easier if I loved The Shining. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I. So coming to it from like that job interviews, I probably, I probably, you know, my. Mary had, you know, we, like we're, we're married and we love each other, but it makes you wonder about dates if you're like, you know, did my love of the shine keep me from, you know, actually going out and like living life to the fullest, you know? <laughs> well, it's also one of those things where you can't criticize it and have a whole lot of solid ground on just simply because it's so well loved and it is so finely crafted. Um, it's more of a story point for me than it is a visual standpoint, which I think is what a lot of people love about that film. So well, when you're coming yeah. to this, this mixes both those visuals and that continuation because um, they go to great painstaking lengths to recreate some of the iconic well, things from that film. In I, this I, yeah, I'll say that. Uh, not to step on that. I apologize. I, I will say that this film, Doctor Sleep, which again, we watched the director's cut, which adds another 30 minutes. We've not seen the original theatrical cut. And I know there's other people out there that I've been reading kind of reviews of like versus like what's, what's, you know, what you should do. And honestly, it's like, if this was supposed to be Flanagan's vision, this is where I wanted to go with it. Like mm-hmm. if this is where he felt this was the true way to go. And there's some significant changes. Well, I should say like in terms of presenting the story and other stuff going on, I'm going to throw a spoiler out just because I said that we were going to do that earlier. Do you know why they are called spoilers? I'm, I'm not giving a spoiler right now, but I will say that it, I think what works for you for this film is that the through line for this is the emotional connections and the relationships where in the original Shining, it was trying, there was all these dense complexities about what is this film really trying to say? I don't think, I don't think Dr. Sleep gets that complicated in the sense of you have, you know, Danny, Torrance, you have Ewan McGregor's character. I I made the joke that this was Obi Wan in his mids. You know, <laughs> like it's, um, you know, he never knew his dad, but he it's cyclic. He's grown up to be you know to be a drunken asshole. Like you know, and and he you know he's still making bad decisions. He also has this incredible power in his brain that you know he's able to shine, and if, if that means talk to people mentally or you know the, you find out it's a little bit more faceted than that. But he's basically like this like battery that can do many things and the drinking just kind of like numbs it. Like you get, you get all that. Um, and the through line of him, like always being drunk because he feels like this was him being close to his father, but also the fear of ever becoming his father. That's a much easier through line to follow thematically and character wise in this movie. And you're on board with Danny for the film. Right. And yes. And I feel like the shining, it's always like, well, what's it mean because none of the, the floors make sense? And what's it mean with him wearing a, a U.S. like no, sorry, a uh, a rocket shirt? What's it mean that Jack has spittle dribbling on his face? I don't think there's conspiracies in this film. People are going to read into it, but I think Flanagan loves The Shining for a lot. But I don't think he was trying to add like complexity in terms of like conspiracy. Which is interesting because one of the themes of this movie that you were talking about with the alcoholism, I think, actually makes Jack, I don't want to say that it makes Jack Torrance in the original more palpable, but there's a scene in the film. It makes him human. It makes him more human, yeah. right. And Which where never was, never was in The Shining, the film. Danny is talking about his sobriety and uh, remembering seeing his dad's, I think, six-month chip and like you know 
just seeing like how his life was and wondering if his life might have gone differently. You know, it, it there's a lot of facets to the story of him seeing his father in a different light now that he's a grown man and g- having gone through the things that he has. And it, it works backwards too, because there's a, a scene that we'll get to at the, towards the end of the film where he sort of, it's not actually his father that he reenacts, he, he engages with. It is, but, but it isn't. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. Uh, again, it's hard to like talk about it and keep jumping. Cause I don't want to jump straight to the end, but I can't help but think to myself, there are things that visuals that happen in this movie that are callbacks to the original Shining that I'm like, why is this having an effect on me when I have no nostalgia for the Shining? Which is an interesting. Which that is interesting. Um, I think you and I are going to come on, on some different. Like I think we're going to land on some different spots in some of this. Um, but so all right. So Doctor Sleep the book is still the sequel with the sense that it follows Dan Torrance. Uh, he's still, you know, like the cycle of like, you know, of just being an alcoholic, you know, you know, being an addict and him dealing with like the shit that he can actually deal with. And so the, that's where, so you got, you, so you got um, a couple different plot lines. You have, have him and his road to redemption and recovery. You have the story of Abra, who is a young lady who, she she knows she has something and her shine is like amazing compared to to Danny's like it, it's manifesting earlier and in more amazing ways and it's also the book goes more into like her parents being worried but also still loving her which you got a little bit of that in the movie i mean she's a bit of a mary sue but i'm kidding no, no, i'm but kidding it's like, people don't yeah, go no, writing letters i was no, making a joke no but it's like they, they, so you got that through line of that too and then you have uh, the other story of the true knot, which I didn't realize when I was reading my note, the, reading the differences between the cuts of the film, uh, they never said they never called themselves the true knot in the theatrical cut. Which I'm like, well, what do you, what do you call them? Just gypsies and RVs? Like, what do you call them? I don't know, but at least they gave they said the name once, you know. Right. And it's like it's these basically they're they're psychic vampires, but it's not really psychic. It's more like like they do take life essence, which. Which Danny's identified as shine because that's what Dick Holleran called it, but the the these people these beings call it steam, mm-hmm. and it's like this pure life essence, and those that are gifted have better steam, and it keeps them not immortal but damn near. So you have these three plot lines all all running forward from like two thousand one up to now, and that's the movie, right? It's kind of like these weaving in and out of what's going on. So I think that's right. I think it's 2000. Was it 2001? Maybe I'm getting McMillions mixed up with that too. But either way, it takes place like. No, because know, I think uh, the finale takes place in 2008. I think it's seven years later or maybe it's 2009. Something like that. Because Abra does not grow that much older. But it's this inner, it, it, in, for something called the true knot, there's a lot of weaving in and out. And you, 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 the movie, at least being three hours, gives you a little bit more time to see where Rose the Hat and her, her caravan of, uh, you know, wonders how why how they exist and how they operate and then you got like Danny dealing with sobriety and trying to 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 become something better and then Abra and her family knowing that she's more than but also trying to raise just a regular girl so that's the through line through I, I think that's the storyline for all three right mm-hmm. um so that's the big thing so I don't know where you want to go with that but that's that's the main three threads running through this yeah yeah I just wanted to Cut back real quick to my my joke about the Mary Sue thing. I in my head I was gonna make a joke of oh she's the Ray of uh, the Ray 
Palpatine of this story. Um, and no, then but I was she like, does stuff. Yeah, but she does stuff. But I was going to say, I was going to make the, the joke about how people complain about, you know, oh, Ray's a Mary Sue or whatever. And then I just went to that joke. And then I saw you like, oh, God, did he just say that? Did he, no, I just, I was like. I, but I was just trying to make a joke. So no, I want to make no, no, sure no, no, that no, no, I'm no, clear um, about that. I don't like the term Mary Sue. I don't. No, she so. she's very capable, but she's also a young girl. And like they're like I so I will also, you know, I will give um I will give credit to this film too that as much as she was always in danger she never was a victim like other than like some of the, like the parent stuff but it's like she was always wanted to bring the fight to them which mm-hmm. is different yeah, yeah I mean she's certainly the one who I don't want to say has a plan because she doesn't really have I mean she does have a plan she has much more of a plan than Danny does until mm-hmm. we get to the very end but at the same time she's the one who. Because she sees something very awful happen, and once she learns of that, she wants to put a stop to yeah, what but has she, happened. She wants to do what's right, and yeah. she she's the idyllic version of what Danny probably could have been if he wasn't raised about around an asshole, you right. know. And like so, so yeah. Um, anyway, uh, did you want to talk about the cast a little bit before we get into like? Because I, I don't if we want to talk about parallels between book and like because there's a weaving here between Flanagan has to. For the vision that he wants to create, he has to walk this really weird line to, mm-hmm. to, to do this. And he succeeds more than he fails, but there's times I get frustrated with it. I'll just say that. So, okay. so uh, Yeah, I mean, do you want to go through the cast? We could do cast. So we got Ewan McGregor as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, it's uh, a first-time movie for him. He's yeah, a new yeah. star yeah. Uh, on the rise, I think. You might know him from Down with Love. <laughs> he was in an episode of ER. It's true. Was... Yeah, he was also in um, that Michael Bay film, The Island. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all. Uh, no, Ewan McGregor. Uh, like he, he will always, I, he will always be Ewan McGregor no matter what I'm watching. But his performance in this is so goddamn good. Like he's so good in this. But yeah, he's Dan Torrance. Um, you have Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat, which just credit to her. Like you don't see villains like this in films. Yeah, and I'll also say that uh, I had not recognized her from the uh, Mission Impossible series. That's right. She was Ilsa. Yeah, was it Ilsa? Yeah, she. I was, don't remember if her name was Ilsa, but I. I yeah, she was the, in, the the British agent that she's yeah. in the last two. She's in um, uh, Ghost Protocol and Fallout. She's kind of she's the love interest of Tom Cruise's uh, always running guy. Yeah, but, always but, running guy. But like after after watching <laughs> this and realizing that was her, yeah. I didn't realize that was her. But okay. yeah, like yeah, she's great in this too. All right, no no disagreement there. Yeah. I think she's a, a fantastic it's villain. Just, usually, when you like um, when you feel like you have villains, you always have somebody that's like either over the top, which she isn't for the most part, or you have to, I don't know. I just she's Rose the Hat's a different type of villain, and the casting is interesting. Like mm-hmm. I just. I don't know. Like, I feel like she would have been in the background of like a Melissa Etheridge video, and you've been like, you wouldn't have thought twice about it. Like, like, like the hat. I guess that's not. I guess that's not unfair. I yeah. I mean, you know. Anyway, Sean Colvin would have had her for "Sunny Comes Home" or whatever that song was. <laughs> Sunny came home. Um, but yeah. So, anybody else you want to point out? Because I have I have a couple. Um, the one that I want to go to is Carl Lumley, who plays Halloran uh, in the film. <sighs> yeah, and. Uh, when I think of him, um, the thing I mainly think of is is that he was Martian Manhunter slash John Jones on the Justice League in 2002, I think is when that series started. But both Justice League and uh, Justice League Unlimited, and I believe he's done 
different voices in a lot of the DC animated movies, but his voice is what I associate with that. But he was also in uh, Mantis. Did That's you watch right. Mantis? He was, yes. Uh, like that was the Sam Raimi produced show on Fox. It was like yeah. their attempt at the superhero thing where he was like paralyzed, but had like like this cool exoskeleton. Mm. And Mantis was like M-A-N-T-I-S, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was him. Yeah. So I didn't I, realize that. I thought that was an interesting uh, poll. Um, and then the other person was uh, Bruce Greenwood, who is always good whenever he pops up in other movies. Uh, well, obviously, this isn't his first role, but when I say other movies, I, I always think of... He's Captain Pike and the two J.J. Abrams. And that's where yeah. I was going to go. There's a scene in the first J.J. Abrams movie that I love where he's sitting down with Kirk after there's been a big bar fight, and he gives him this speech. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, like great speeches that like i know that a lot of people don't like that that uh, first uh, abrams movie i i really like that one and i think that i think it's way better than the second great. one yeah 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 um no bruce bruce greenwood he's great he was also in gerald's game he played he's gerald so he's the abusive okay. husband in that so you're like oh no so it like it's it, flanagan has his people he likes working with and i was like oh it's bruce greenwood and i'm like Oh, he's gone. Like that was it. <laughs> but just but he was he was a scary dude in Gerald's game. Like yeah. and uh but it was good to see him. Uh another person I want to mention, uh well Jacob Tremblay is as Bradley uh, Trevor, the baseball kid. Yeah. He's he's kind of like a known commodity and he's in this film for not long, and I guess his performance was so bothersome that like uh um what's her name uh rebecca ferguson couldn't remember her lines like during like that scene okay she, he really just like put the fear of god in everybody and then he walked off with like a smile on his face because he knows what he did <laughs> like that awesome i just want to mention cliff curtis he was billy freeman he was the guy that ran a uh, teeny town and the train okay that was the buddy of danny mm-hmm. i love him every time i see him like he's a recon- recognizable character actor i don't think he's i don't think he's been like tap typecast as a character actor he was the psychologist in the film Sunshine. Okay. I, would, I don't know if you've seen Sunshine or not. No, no, but uh, oh. the thing that I know him from, and I only watched the first season, so it's uh, I can't say that I, I know how long he was on it for, but um, Fear the Walking Dead, he was one of the main characters That's on right. That. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was the thing that I immediately like popped into my head when I saw him pop up on the yeah, the and film. the actor, I don't know him from anything, but uh, Zach McLaren, who played Crow Daddy, was amazing in this film, too. Yeah. The yeah, Second I, in Command. I mean, honestly, there's nobody bad in this movie. Like, no. Uh, it's really well cast, and even characters... Sorry, Zan McLaren is his name. Which is funny, because my wife, when she saw Carl Lumley as uh, Halloran, um, she's like, is that the guy from the original Shining? I'm like, well, that was Scatman Crothers, and he died in the 80s. I'm like, so no... You're like, um, it's his ghost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to make a joke on Facebook that uh, I was, uh, there was no digitally recreated uh, Scatman Crothers, and I was going to hold out for a cut of the film that digitally recreates him instead. Yes. No. Um, but uh, he does so good. He does really he's good. He's really yeah. good. He gets the intonation. And actually, everyone who, whether it's um, the actress playing Wendy, um, to Henry Thomas, who plays, they list him as the bartender, but that's not who he really is playing. Yeah. Um, he's really good, too. Yeah. He's really good. And I, none of their, they feel like they're doing the same character 
None of them feel like impersonations. That's that that's absolutely fair. Yeah. So, no, you're right. There, like, there's good performances throughout all this, but I just wanted to make sure that we at least you know uh, give credit where we want to give credit. Also, um, oh, where's that? Grandpa Flick was the guy. Uh, Carol uh, Struyukin. Um, he actually is in Gerald's game as well. Okay. Uh, so seeing him, it's like, oh, that guy. Like, so he's kind of like, um, oh shoot, uh, my brain's falling apart right now. He's kind of like what Del Toro would always use, like Doug Jones. Like, I feel like okay. this is going to be this guy for all this stuff. Where it's like, you know. he's going to be uh, Mike Flanagan's. Um, oh God, I can't think of his name now. The tall man from the Fantastic. Yeah, that, right. It's, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, I will say that uh, there was one performance I wasn't really that thrilled with. It was uh, Logan Medina, who was a library kid. He really phoned it in. <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just looking through castles, and I'm like, I don't recognize any of these people. And I was like, yeah, I'll just use this to tear apart some poor kid who got his like first start. So, all right. So the 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 what what was bringing us here uh, to this film is that we were kind of left cold with The Shining, and then you had not read Doctor Sleep. No, um, I had. Um, Could I ask a quick question? Uh, you're not. <laughs> the, the question would be. Uh, let me let me recognize the Steve in the back. Like, <laughs> hey, guys, on, big fan, first time caller. Put a, on Facebook. You'd ask like people to name their their three favorite books. Was that related to this, or did I just completely cold stall the sh- the show? No, you didn't. Uh, okay. No, you didn't cold stall the show. Uh, no, just that my wife actually has a book club right now, oh. and um, I that was also what we're doing on Saturday. Like, I was making sure that I was trying to play a nice hostess for the, her book club. Okay, and I, I put a big sign up says it said "Welcome to Fight Slash," and I crossed it out "Book Club." <laughs> and people were talking about books they're interested in, so I decided, you know what, I just want to see what people's three favorite books like. Not not I, top okay. three, just three favorite. books. I wasn't sure yeah. if you were going to say like, oh, this is in my top three or not something. at all okay, no okay, um i so i've talked about stephen king and my my like it's not love hate because there's books of his that i've been kind of indifferent to but i will like given the opportunity i will always read a stephen king book and so like right now we talk about this being a resurgence of him that hbo series the limited series the outsider is yeah that's on. really good i'm like two episodes behind right now but it's i've not watched really any of it good. i've read the book um okay. and like I and one of my one of my buddies was like he's watching it and he got to like because I guess next week's the last episode of the, the the series or something, and I just mentioned some kind of stuff like I just mentioned something offhand. He's like, oh yeah, and I'm like, oh well, it's still lining up pretty well with the book, and it sounds like they got the right people to kind of aspect to lean more on the crime side of things to begin with, which is the way that should be done. But um, w- I liked the outsider. It's just that when you finally got to what was going on in the big showdown, I was kind of left a little flat. Maybe they'll redeem it in the in the miniseries. I don't know, but I liked I liked the idea. King is always so good at writing characters that feel real. He's always so good at feeling like writing characters that you just want to be like, I like you. I hope you don't get eaten by a monster. You know, like he's also good at creating like small towns. Even though the outsider set in like Oklahoma City, I think um, it was in the book. Um, like it's called Flint City, which is outside Oklahoma City. For some reason I was thinking Missouri, but I that well, may I mean, be... it's it's the Midwest. You know? Yeah, like, I'm. Tr- but either way, he's still good at like getting like the like just the the close people, right? And oh, I like, might also be confusing it with Ozark since that's the Jason Bateman show. But <laughs> fair on. enough. Uh, so there, there's things I love about it, like so you know this the ending kind of was like eh, that that was it. Doctor Sleep. Um, it, it was a book that there's so much in it that I liked, but I just I didn't fall in love with it. Okay, like um, 
And so they're like the latter day of King, like the second half of his stuff, he's put out some things that have been really good. And there's other stuff where it's like, man, I really appreciate we're going with this, but it's just not connecting with me. And maybe it's just me as a reader, but I also feel like it's just like, he's still putting out good work. It's just that, you know, you it's hard to compare an artist to their previous hits, which I, this is coming down to the shining versus Dr. Sleep where the shining was his third, his third published novel. And it comes out like it, it it's, it's amazing, but he's also writing it from a standpoint in which he's recovering alcoholic, but he has not gotten over cocaine yet. You know, like, so some of his earlier works are just this wildfire of ridiculousness because his brain is running a million miles an hour because of drugs. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to be like, I really liked it better when he was coked up. That's not the way you want to say that. Right. But you wonder about that edge to some of the creativity. With that being said, though, he's been sober. He's been clean a lot longer than I think he was like wrecked. And he still put out good stuff. It's just that some of the other earlier stuff, just he didn't tell himself no. And okay. with Dr. Sleep, it's like, I think he just really wanted to put the character of Danny to bed because there's always that shadow of Jack. Like what happened to the kid, you know? And the book does a good job of that. It's just, you know, it the psychic vampire thing, the true not as, as like antagonists in the book, like what are they? They, 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 they punish people that have like, abilities and then they suck the life out of them and then store them in these convenient canisters that never explain how those are built. Like how did they just go to like a government agency? It's like, yeah, I need, I need a really special canister to hold human steam. What is that? Eh. I like, just assumed it was, uh, you know, your average everyday run of the mill, um, coffee, um, <laughs> Yeah, right? That's what it looked I, like. I was going to say carafe, but that's not the term. No, but it looked uh, like a thermos, right? Thermos, yeah. thank you. Yeah, but it's just like, it looked like a specific, it looked like you put dinosaur DNA in it whenever they open it up. <laughs> so, uh, so the finding out that what happened to Danny and the finding out the aftermath, I thought was way more interesting. And so the book wasn't a sequel to The Shining in the sense of like, what are we going to do with The Overlook? Because mm -hmm. The Overlook exploded in the book, in the first, in the original Shining. It was done didn't exist. And so in the book, um, eventually there's a showdown on at this campground that is on the remnants of the overlook. And so Danny does go there because he knows that, um, the true not actually have been attracted to that place because of all the pain and misery. And like they, they get attracted to like just pain. And there's a whole bit in the book that I'm glad is not in the movie where they knew something was up like in like 2001 uh, and they went towards New York and they, they were across the river from when nine 11 hit. Okay. And they just, they just like, it was like the day of days where they just drank in all the agony. Okay. And it was like the last feast that they had as a people. Glad that wasn't in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I will say that it's a, Again, it's it's horror, so it's a horrific idea, and it's at home in a story like that. It is. But it's, yeah, I understand what you mean. So, there, there's so the whole thing too is that the Overlook was kind of like this, like like shit went bad there. The, this is this is something that we can get along with because we can we can feed if there's like remnants. The movie twists it on its head, which I kind of like, um, mm -hmm. but but anyway, um, so. I think Stephen King's biggest problem with the sharing of the film is that you never gave a shit about Jack. He was an asshole to begin with, like you said, and it didn't end with the overlook just burning down. I think that was his biggest problems with that movie. Okay. And then 
you get to this movie and what do you get? Not redemption for Jack, but more understanding of Jack and you make him human. Mm-hmm. And how does the overlook go out? It like, explodes. Because the boiler was like not tended to, which is the exact plot point from the original book. Okay. Um, which confused me a little bit when when, uh, when Danny walked in and started like turning on stuff because his shine was enough to start bringing that place back, which I thought was really interesting. But he's like, I'm going to go turn on the boiler. I'm like, okay, why are you doing do you need other, is the pinball machine not working right? But it's like, <laughs> he, he knew that that was the, he knew he was never going to get out of there, you know? And I kind of, I kind of like that, but it also felt like your ending to this movie is the ending of the shining. I just felt little, felt a little weird to me, but you didn't, you didn't know that. I No, I did yeah. not know that. I can say from the perspective of somebody who hasn't read the book, um, either book, um, Screw books. That's what we're getting to. <laughs> I could say, don't waste your time reading, kids. Uh, no. You should I, read comic I, books, like the one Steve's make. <laughs> you know, Steve, as in Steve's, as in plural. I guess Ryan's name is now Steve. You know, Steve Cassandy. He the, can tell, the, tell two Steve's. Steve's, the two Steves. Uh, no, Steve, I, Steve, and Ryan Steve. <laughs> I can't help but think um, how powerful it is to go back to the Overlook in the movie. Like, I... I Knowing that it's destroyed at the end of The Shining, I think if they would have gone to a campground now that was just the shell of what was there, it wouldn't have been nearly oh, as powerfully. Um, I agree. I, it was a little weird, but it's like, how do you? But he's already written that in the book, so how right. do you go back to that? The only the, I they're guess, ghosts. There could be a ghost version of it. Yeah, I guess. Um, but there's there's this weird inkling of like when he says they closed it after what happened to us. It's like. I don't know. They didn't close it the first time the guy went crazy and killed his family. <laughs> it's like, why would like, I don't, I, I don't know. I think someone's going to take a chance on this place again. Cause it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it, it's established has a hedge maze. I just, it's like now they close it for like all of eternity, whatever. That's like the one biggest hand wave of all this is that the property stayed closed after that occurred, you yeah. know, in like the late seventies, <laughs> like you think, <laughs> like you think it would have been brought back by now or, or like, you know, it would have been turned into something else, you know, but if that's if that's the hand wave to get you back there, that's fine. Because I will say, whenever he does show back up again, so I, we're skipping over a lot. That, that, that's fine, but he knows that like Rose the Hat, who's the psychic vampire, um, he like and this this is smart because this isn't this isn't how the book goes. That he's like, well, if if you myself, if he tells Abra, he's like, if we're both like this spark that affects this thing negatively, it's dangerous for us. It's going to be dangerous for her, which that's kind of smart. Like, yeah, I actually liked that his plan was to go back to the Overlook simply because he didn't think they could defeat her on their own. But if you throw this into the mix, they have a better chance. Yeah. So then when she comes back in, she gets to the overlook, which I think it's funny that we're going to like, there's all this other stuff that, that we're going to skip, but it's like people paid the money to see the overlook again. Uh, I feel like that's where people are coming back to because the trailers all played the music from the shining. It was all like, you guys remember the shining? We're making a sequel to that. Right. So I feel like you had to get to the last half hour of this film. Well, I do want to say yeah. before we get to that point, one of the things that, and I'm assuming this is in the book as well. One of the things that I thought was interesting was is that the the ghost from The Shining, even though he's no longer at the hotel at the beginning of the film, we we panned it. Is it like six months later Something after like the that, end yeah. of The Shining? Uh, we're still with the young Danny Torrance and his mother Wendy, and he's still being affected by the ghost from The Overlook. And he has a chat with Halloran at the very beginning of the movie. I always, I, 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 it's Halloran, not O'Halloran. I always want to say, yeah. okay. 
I want to say O'Halloran. Well, because if you remember in the movie, what was the room? Um, how was the film? Um, oh, the 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 John Cusack film. Um, room. Oh, uh, wasn't it four one nine or no fourteen oh eight fourteen oh eight? I think I think Sam Jackson's character is like oh something in that, and is he's he? like okay. yeah I th- yeah so another um, haunted haunted uh, you know hotel story <laughs> from Stephen King. Good one though, but anyway, yeah. please. Uh, the thing that I thought was interesting was is he he gives him sort of like a you can lock them up. There's a yeah. way that you can um, put them to sleep and he doesn't ever ever really give a indication of what happens to them because Danny even asks at a later point like well what happens to him um but I don't know if that's from the book or not but I thought that was a really interesting concept so I, I'm here here's the first mind blower is that in the book Halloran lives he doesn't okay. die so that is a change in the movie so then a lot of the dialogue that's said to uh Danny in the movie is Dick Halloran being alive talking to him be like this is what you gotta do doc and so then um, Flanagan's like, he's a ghost. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that makes sense to me. Like, I never questioned it. No, not at all. And then later when he revisits him, like before you go, like whatever you have older Danny and he, yeah. like, you have like, it's like you can have that conversation then because Halloran's a ghost. It's like that, like, again, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about how we feel about the movie, but it's like, that's just times where it's like, well, that just, you're you're getting everything across so that kind of serves two masters and that works for me, you know? Uh, so yeah, he teaches him how to make a lockbox and throw like the, 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 the remnants. Cause, um, the lady in the tub still was following him. Can yeah. I say, say this real quick? Yeah. And I guess maybe like it's an iconic moment from the, the shining, but I felt like she was the thing that they fell back on the most visually as far as like a ghost coming after him. Yeah. Um, which I was like, why not the dog suited, um, right. Pervert. Guy? Why not anybody? Else? Why didn't he yeah. open the bathroom door and see a dog giving you know, yeah. Head to some dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that's what Steve and I wanted to see was furry head in the bathroom. In but Florida. I was like, oh, I, why? I would, was surprised because I always think of the two twins. People would just dismiss it and be like, what is it, Jacksonville? It's fine. It's like, that's what happens, you know? Like, what's what's Danny seeing now? Like, I don't know. He's anyway. also a Jaguars fan. <laughs> yeah. and no. Like Bortles. No, uh, no, uh, so here, here's something else too that's different between um, the the theatrical cut and director's cut is that after he first sees the the lady in the bathroom and he like he wets himself and runs back and Wendy helps him. She goes in the bathroom and sees like footprints yes. on the, the mat that didn't happen in the theatrical cut. Which oh. which I'm like, why would you like that would still give like I don't know why you take that moment away because it's I like I guess if you've got to cut a half hour out of a movie, you take the pieces that you but i think it's important to show that the kid's not crazy and that she's still trying to help okay because she still loves her kid i thought that was important but you know anyway so holler and teaches how to make these lock boxes which is important to the story happens in the book uh it it doesn't it doesn't happen to the degree where you see like eight thousand lock boxes like lined up back to back to back to back like they show uh there is a bit later uh whenever rose is wandering in the hedge maze and she's being distracted by Abra. And you see the box come up behind her. I I know it wasn't supposed to be funny, but I laughed when I saw that happening. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, oh, watch out for the death bed, the bed that eats. You know? like, <laughs> Look out, he's behind you. Oh no, it's the it's the you know, like, you know, whatever. So, but yeah, that was a that was a concept that was there. It's not, it's a concept that that King has used a couple of times. Uh, have you seen the film Dreamcatcher? I have not only because I've heard it's terrible. It's not good. Uh, the book is the book is not bad, but it talks about the idea of like the mind being like a library 
and yeah. it explained like all the different files and things. And they used that visual vocabulary in this film. And it's like, it's, it works, but it's like, you know, it's one of those things that he comes back to of like, you know, your brain set up in a way. And if you have these abilities, you have to kind to, you have to kind of construct it away to do what you need to do. My yeah. mind is like a library, except all the books are out of order and somebody spilled a Diet Mountain Dew all over them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the, the, the mind, the mind palace, or I guess that's something they used in like the Sherlock series too, like the new ones okay. where it was like this whole, like we've talked about in Dracula where he kind of had like his mental constructs. So that was not, that's, that was also in the book too, a little bit, but the idea of a lockbox was er, introduced early and it does pay off in the book too. Um, the way that it's done in the film, I think is better, um, where, uh, you have, uh, you have Rose the hat, like, you know, basically realizing that Danny's actually like, you know, full of steam, um, that she calls it. And, um, and then he, um, he opens all the boxes because he's in the overlook and because she's so, she's been like getting his essence, they don't know the difference and they yeah. go after her. I thought that was clever as hell. Um, you know. But the way we got there, you know, did I need to have the confrontation in the Colorado room where he's backing up the steps where he has the axe? Did I need that to be mirroring exactly what happened between Jack and Wendy? I don't know if I needed that. Did I need like because there's so much that happens in the movie that doesn't happen to Danny. So how would he know? Like, how would he have the wherewithal? to be aware as a person like this has happened exactly as it was before. Cause he doesn't in the movie, he doesn't know, but as a view, as a person watching a movie, you had to have these payoffs. I don't agree with that. I think that was a little like the bit when Rose walks by the elevators opening and there's blood and she doesn't freak out. She's just more like, cool. Like it moves on. It's like, <laughs> we didn't need that. I, I didn't mind it. And again, I guess it goes back to the fact that I'm like, why am I getting chills from these things that are from a film that, you know, the, I don't particularly love. And I, I thought that all worked, and I guess maybe it's, I'm a sucker, but it just bugged me narratively thing. because Danny wouldn't have seen any of that, and that makes uh, sense. It, but to be perfectly honest, that never occurred to me. And it, but like, and as much as I loved, because there's there's a bit, because uh, the movie, the director's cuts broken up into chapters with titles, which I thought was great, which I didn't realize actually didn't happen in the theatrical cut. Yeah, that's a shame because I really I liked. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and 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 also because that also kind of turns on the head of the original shining where they would do like the days of the week. Right. So you got that kind of vibe and it bridges the story. I think pretty well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Those chapters. There's a whole bit though. There's a quiet, like slow pan in the gold room of the overlook and you see this, the drink waiting for, cause it's like, it's always waiting. And I thought that was cool. And then as much as that sequence is amazing between you and McGregor and, um, Oh, uh, the, Henry, yeah, Thomas. Henry Thomas. It's amazing. This is why you need to pay the money to see this movie. It doesn't make sense how it exists. Danny has no reason to go to the gold room. Why would he go there? Ever. I would say it's calling him. It, As what, a recovering it, alcoholic, it's calling him. I guess, but it's like he just makes a beeline. There's no indication that he knows that that was where his dad sat in that chair and had like a similar conversation. Well, he was given um, also a, a pathfinder that was in the shape of a, 
a cylinder. Yeah, and then yeah. He, he was held given it up. Yeah, in the light. He had to go to this planet to get. Yeah, it first, he was given. He was given then, a holocron or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He goes outside the. He goes outside the overlook and holds up a dagger that has a wedge. <laughs> like, the bar's over here. You know. Like, um, all right, I'm done with the Star Wars jokes. I do want to talk about because yeah. I I feel like we're we're nearing the end. Uh, I think one of the things that captivated me about this film, though, is the middle section. Um, Danny, the part we didn't talk about at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Danny has met up with a gentleman who basically uh, sees in Danny a problem that he had. He's a recovering alcoholic as well. And he's uh, he has a line, I think, where he says, like, I've got a feeling about people. And I can see that you're that's that's Cliff Curse's character, a, Billy, yeah. Billy Freeman. Yeah, uh, you're at the bottom of a pit, and he gets him a job, takes him to AA, and that's where they meet Bruce uh, Greenwood's character, who is a doctor. Um, but that lands Danny a job as an orderly in a hospice. And there's two things that uh, that really struck me. One, there's a line I don't know if it's from the book or not, uh, but it really got me. Bruce Greenwood's character asks Danny, you know, are you comfortable around dead people? You know, it'd be working in a hospice. And Danny's response is, we're all dying. The world is one big hospice with fresh air. <laughs> and like that, I don't know what it was about that line, but it just tore into me. And I'm like, man, that's a great line. It's a great line, but it's also like, I don't know if I should hire you. Right. Like, <laughs> did you notice the office that he was in, though? Did you want to mention that? The, the... So I, I didn't notice it watching it. I saw it in the trivia oh, about the it, movie. It, just, it was so right in front of the, it, me watching it the entire I time. I didn't pick up on it. Which is, like again, that's the kind of stuff that I dig that Flanagan was like, oh, crap, we're going to offer Danny a job, and we're going to have this conversation. It's going to be the same architecture as the room of the manager's office in the Overlook. Overlook. And I didn't pick up on that, so... Like, that was cool. And, like, I guess the shooting location of where they decided to do the hospice, Flanagan picked it because, like, the hallways were narrow-looking and it reminded him of the Overlook a little bit, like, kind of creepy. So it's like, that's cool, too. Like, I'm... Like, even if you get down to Teeny Town, where he... Like, whenever you have Danny first show up in, like, uh, that place with the, the train, like, the tiny train, like, it's a recreation of the town, that still didn't feel too far off for me from like the small model of the hedge maze that was in the middle of the overlook. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like, again, you're getting the lay of the land and you're interacting with this and your perspective is, is different. Yeah. You know? Um, so that, yeah, there's, there's stuff that there's things like that that I thought was great. I and thought, yeah, there's also a conversation and I guess it's also in the book. Um, there's a cat that works, uh, that works, <laughs> that resides at the hospice. Yeah, uh, that's the cat's job. Is that he shows up when people are ready to die, which is what cats do. Which um, is taken from real life. There yeah. was a uh, hospice that I guess had a cat that comforted like a hundred people who were about to die. Although I don't know how comforting it is to see that cat and be like, "Oh God, I am going to die." There's also people that theorize that because a lot of these people were like ill, that they probably had like electric blankets and like you know heat. Like, oh, well. so the cat was all like, "Huh, <laughs> <laughs> you're warm for now." Like, but that that plays a part in the story. And the first time that happens, Danny goes in and he comforts an old man who's dying. And again. For a show where we make a lot of jokes and uh, I say a lot of stupid things, I can honestly say that there's a conversation that he has with a man who's dying, and he's like, I don't know what I'm more afraid of, of there being nothing, 
or there being something worse. Mm -hmm. And that's my big fear about dying. Like, and that hit me so hard too, where I'm like, that's the thing that I'm scared of. Like, you know, is it worse to go to nothing is, or is it worse to go to, you know, the bad place? Yeah. Um, and the way Danny comforts him and kind of helps him get to sleep. And that's, I thought Rose at first was going to be Dr. Sleep simply because I'm sorry, not Rose. Who's the, the younger Abra. girl? Ab- Abra. Is it Abra? Yeah. Okay. Um, I oh, you th- mean like the younger girl as her, her the blonde who oh that's put um, the... that's Snakebite Addy or whatever her name is yeah, yeah. okay Snakebite Andy yeah. I thought at the beginning of the film I was like oh she can put people to sleep and that's she's going to be a bigger role in this movie and I was surprised to find out that Danny's actually Doctor Sleep in some ways which the way that was handled the film was really heavy handed I feel like he's like we'll just call you Doctor Sleep it's like oh I guess that's where the title comes from. And so I all say this too. This is just me being persnickety, but the whole persnickety good word. The whole bit of whenever he was confronting his dad about like seeing Wendy pass away, how she was covered in death flies, because mm-hmm. that was the shine showing all this. That's also more obvious to him when he's working in a hospice. They don't really get into it in the movie. Um, I also found out that the second time when he helps somebody pass over. It's not in the regular cut of the film. And it's like, you you need that touchstone of him being available and giving somebody that vision of the thing they loved on the way out to actually get what he does. Like, I feel like it was a better sell in the second time around than it was the first. But then you see, like, the steam come out or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. When, when people die of sickness in the book, there's, like, a stream of flies that come out, like this bad steam, right? So in the book... Um, they mentioned it in the movie, um, Abra's, uh, grandmother, um, she's dying of cancer. Uh, Danny goes to talk to her for something and there's convoluted things that happen in the book that you end up finding out that Abra and Danny are actually related. I don't, I didn't, li- I read that trivia and, and I, I was, was like, like oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. That out of the, movie. the fact that she's like, I'll just call you uncle Danny. It's like, good. We're gone. We'll just keep moving. It's fine. <laughs> but whenever her, that is whip, a funny line though, where yeah, he's like, uh, uh you know, this day and age, a man of my age sitting with a young girl on a bench. She's uh, like, ah, uh, you're my uncle. He's like, oh, well, okay. You know, this, <laughs> you know, um, so whenever her, the grandmother passes, uh, she, you know, she is dying of cancer and like these, these plague flies come out and he, and Danny sucks it all in and holds it. Cause he's taking that with him to the campground of the overlook okay. because these vampires live off of steam and he's going to give it to him because there's also a through line in the book too, that, um, they're, they're desperate trying to find the next steam source and the baseball kid is a good candidate. And they didn't realize that when they took his steam, he had measles. So when they actually drank his steam, they all got the measles. And mm. that was really screwing with their very delicate systems of being immortal psychic vampires. And it was not sitting well with them. And they're all kind of dying. And they, and they see Abra. They're like, they're, that's who we need. I'm glad that they kind of, it, it didn't need to go in the movie that way. But the fact that like Danny was using like kind of like the anti-steam against them worked in the book. It's just the whole thing of him talking about death flies. It works in the conversation, but you, other than the beginning, whenever he has the guilt of leaving the mom and baby to die, that he had the one I stand with, with the mom, not the baby. That's weird. Um, you, you get the notion that they're dead and covered in flies. It's never really brought back in the movie. So wait, do you think that mom at the beginning of the movie is dead? She's dead. Really? That, cause she says to him, they didn't find us. Cause he took the baby and put it beside her with a bag of chips and, and cause because the entire time, any other time that he's been near like dead people, they've found him. That's not his guilt. 
this is this is something that's attaching to him. And so at first he was going to try to lock the memory away. And Holleran's like, you don't lock memories up. Memories are ghosts that you live with. That wasn't a memory. She was dead because she OD'd and no one came to find her and the baby died in the process. That's that's what happens in the book, if I remember right. All right, because I told my wife, I'm like, oh, she's just she's she's out because they did a bunch of drugs and did a bunch of drinking, and she threw no. up all over herself. And no, because she's later, asleep. later she like he's in his bed in New Hampshire, and she's like, they didn't find us. No one, because basically she's like, people know who I am, and no one bothered to check in. Okay, so all right, yeah, I was wrong. Well, that, that I mean, I could I be wrong. Owe my wife that, an apology for not just that, but lots of things. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the the whole thing of him actually able to kind of help people pass over, it worked. But there's some stuff that's like I feel like the death flies thing was brought in way too late. But if you will talk about the guilt of him not being able to look his mother in the eyes when he's trying to comfort her, that rang true. Like yeah, like that whole speech when he's confronting his father at the bar, like that all. Like again, I question how we got there, but that scene of uh, itself is immense. Yeah, and what I really like about it is is that he keeps trying to play both sides where he's like, you have me confused with somebody else. Like, he's trying yeah. to say, like, I'm not who you think I am. Did you know but I just happen to look exactly like him and talk like him. And How they kept Henry Thomas in, like, profile for the longest time. Yeah. Like, it's like, because he, I mean, even head on, he looks a lot like him, but, like, in profile, it's like, God damn. Like, yeah. I don't know how they did that, but it looks like, I mean, is it one-to-one perfect? No, but it's really close. And again, can, I, I I can't think of. There aren't a lot of performances where it doesn't feel like somebody's just impersonating somebody who, particularly if they're playing the same role as somebody who is very famous for having been in that role. Mm-hmm. That must have been so tough. I mean, I guess Ewan McGregor did a little bit of that himself. You know, he made Obi Wan his own, and it felt like he wasn't doing an impression of Alec Guinness. But boy, that's got to be a that's got to be such a tough line to walk as an actor. I mean. That, but also they recreated like the set, like like oh, based yeah. upon like schematics that was like you know given by the Kubrick like her- estates. Which think about that too. I just want to also point out that like they were like very cooperative with this when they didn't have to, mm-hmm. and then King to kind of move forward and be like, you know what, I like this. Like that's also like you know I I, I think I think King will also recognize that like there's times like I, I mentioned the mist, um, whenever. Um, Adara Bont's like, here's what I want to do for the ending of the film. And it's different than the book because it's, it's, there's a toss-off line in the book about what was going to happen. And King's like, I'm so mad I didn't come up with that myself. I think if someone comes to him with like a better idea, he's not going to stand in the way. The Mist know? has quite possibly one of the best endings <sighs> to any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, And it'll leave you cold. It'll, it, not, not cold. Uh, it Broken hit you like a truck. Yeah. yeah. And so with this, it's like, like the whole bit, like if if we're just leading up to Danny actually talking to his dad, because in the book he actually it deals with like the ghost of his dad who kind of redeems himself, and they end up like pushing Rose the hat to like her death or some stuff. It's like it's it's weak sauce. Let's be honest, but it's not so much like shining. It's like it's not so much the overlook. It's more Danny's story of dealing with everything and then like you know trying to be the like the father figure that his dad never was and like he lives in the book and blah 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 blah. So um I'm not saying that I would have wanted a perfect retelling of Doctor Sleep because the book was okay but not great and people can fight with me over that. There's a lot of good in it, but there's a lot I didn't care for. 
I, I felt like in a lot of ways this was also King's way of doing a sequel to a book that didn't need a sequel. Um, there is a book that Stephen King co-wrote with somebody named Peter Straub, who's also an like, established horror writer, called The Talisman from the 80s. Uh, they did a sequel to, uh, together called Black House that I was just pissed off reading it the entire time because it's like, why are you trying to do this? And then King kept wedging in Dark Tower things into it. And I'm like, why is this a thing that's happening right now? So it's like, I feel like there's times where he goes back to the well. I'm like, I don't know if I need this. And Dr. Sleep was okay. Um, the, the welding of a movie that has a legacy that and, and a book that has a legacy to make a sequel, I just it's a weird type of magic. Um, you loved this like versus the original versus the first film. Yeah. I mean, I even again, I can't say that I could separate the two. Um, so it's unfair of me to say like, Oh, even without the shining, I think it's a fantastic film, but I just, I really liked it. And your analogy of star Wars being comfort food, like with the force awakens of like, Oh, here we're showing you, you know, all the things that you loved as a kid. And, you know, Mm. You could make the argument that this movie does that, but I don't have attachments to those things. So it's interesting to me that like they seem to have a strong resonance, and I think maybe it's because of the fact that Danny is such a good character throughout this entire movie. Yeah, so I mean, when I'm talking about things that bug me, it's more like their direct callbacks to the first film. Not so at the beginning, beginning of this, whenever you do. Like there's the like there's one of the chapters where it shows the outside of the overlook back then and you see the patterns that like the like the the, um, the hexagons that show up that are like the like the, the carpet and you see one of the chapter titles and you hear that music, it's like that's really goddamn cool. Like I'm fine with that. And then they show like they do a recreation a little bit of like with um with the current actors with Jack breaking through the door, all mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm fine with that. Um it's just that I didn't need the juxtaposition of on the staircase. I didn't need that. Like them having a showdown on the staircase was fine because they have the high ground, you know, star Wars. <laughs> Obi-Wan has the, high Obi-Wan ground. has the high ground again. Oh yeah. no, wait, he had the low ground. Sorry. No, Obi-Wan had the high yeah, ground. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and, know my star Wars anymore. Yeah, the, People, right? Who am I? And then the bit where like Rose takes the ax and hits him square and like the thigh. And she's like, I've, you know, it's your femoral artery. You're done. Like that's interesting. Cause then it shows him like, like limping around the overlook because he gets overcome. It's like, okay, if that's how you get to Danny being like Jack, fine. Like, that's okay. But it's like, but then Abra gets pulled into the same room and it's like all this stuff. I, mean, I get that that room two, like 217 or whatever it is in the movie. Uh, two, 237. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. 227. 227. Um, <laughs> Jack A is in there. It's just weird. Um, like, I, I get that to a point too because like that was one of the big like beacons. But then she sees the twins. She sees um, the one guy partying with the blood dye's face. Like, why does she need to see all that exact imagery from the movie? You know, like that's fair. Um, to, it's implied that those were all in Danny's lockboxes, and now they're back. But I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of that stuff that's being revisited that resonates with us. But Abra wouldn't know shit about it. So why is that happening to her? You know, I don't know. It just it's it's definitely handled and cool looking. It just doesn't make sense for me from a character standpoint. A lot of the points. So which did you like better, the book or the movie? Um, God damn, that's a good question. Uh, I, it, it's, it's going to be funny. I guess I'll just land on the, like, like I, I talked about the shining, how I do love the original book a great deal. Um, and there's parts about the movie I like a lot. 
in this case, I think I think there's a lot about the movie I like more than probably the book, but the book has merit on its own too. So I guess I'm just going to kind of fall halfway on both. Okay. But I think that's where like Flanagan does too. Um, I just I, I feel like him weaving this together and keeping the overlook upright and then blowing up at the end is cool. Um, and I think that the the aspect of Danny taking over the hollering role where he's a ghost but he's also being helpful to Abra is cool. That's that that's a nice like passing of the guard and it's like that kind of makes sense right I'm, I'm actually okay with that and her like reaching out to her mother specifically being like i'm like this you know like that's interesting because because he he never danny never was able to say that to his mom mm-hmm. so there's a lot of thematic stuff there i like a great deal um i just think that there's some and i hate to use this phrase there's just some fan service there that i don't i don't know if we needed you know, like him just walking back on the overlook and the lights coming on for this place. that has been like shuttered for like 20 plus years. Like that should be enough. You know, like we don't need some of the, like, like, like I supposedly whenever they're driving towards the overlook and there's all these amazing, like overhead shots that are like really far back and cars driving down, like winding roads. Like I get it. It's, it's thematically to the first movie. I guess there's a bit where they're driving across a small wooden bridge and they're going towards the overlook mm-hmm. and the sound that's being made isn't the car going over a bridge, but it's Danny on his, uh, his tricycle. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I didn't pick up on that. That's cool, I guess. But it's like, I don't know. Like if you're going to go back, I don't, I don't need to see the things I saw before. Um, I think him just confronting his father was enough. And then literally in the director's cut, they have a bit where uh, Jack gets pissed and like tosses his drink all over Danny and then it cuts to the bathroom. Yeah. It's oh, it's like a mirror image of the bathroom scene from the, the, the original film. And it's amazing, but it's like you have that blood red bathroom and it's, and it's like the whole thing too, wherever he's like, to, he's saying to Danny, he's like, just, just let the girl come in. And then he says to him, like, what was it? Um, the hardest thing is to let go or the, or the first, like basically one of the lines of being like alcohol, alcohol, like alcoholics anonymous of like, you know, you have to let go of the things that you can't control. It's like, basically like, bring the girl in, just let it go. Like that's messed up. Yeah. But it's just, and I, I appreciate symmetry. I just, I don't know if I needed the same things over and over again. I guess the movie's cyclic and that's supposed to be the point, but it kind of bugs me. I mean, I, I can't make an argument against it. Um, I think it's just personal preference at this point. Oh, of course. Um, And I can't help but wonder, like I said, why I had reactions to things that I don't have an affinity for being revisited. Um, So I... I, That's good. I'm I'm actually happy that you actually come out like like really pleased on the other end. Like, I'm not not saying I dislike this movie, because I did. No, I I didn't think you did. I just... Uh, I was surprised because the thing, the choices that he made, I think, you know, again, it goes back to I made the joke about, you know, Scatman Crothers being digitally recreated. Like, I feel like there's a world where that probably could have been a possibility and they would have hired Jack Nicholson to come in and then de-aged him. And then they you talked know, about that, too. They're like, yeah, this became a whole thing. And then he gave his blessing to it. Like, sure. You know, he's probably a Lakers game. Whatever, you know, like, he's probably, you know, he's like, you know what? That's as good as it gets. But, uh, you know, I, I, I see that stuff that he's, oh, I get it now. Um, but I, I think of that stuff and I'm just like, God, it's kind of an achievement what he did. Not only the fact that I know that he made a sequel to a movie that Stephen King didn't like. You convinced him on that. But then he made 
a movie that bridges both of those. Like yeah, it, to to say that his efforts are not commendable is, is it, like it is it is utterly ridiculous because the amount that went into this, like the amount of thought mm-hmm. to tie it together, is amazing to me. And um and I did enjoy this movie, and I I enjoyed it more than The Shining. So I'll say that. Um, because I think it wasn't trying to be anything other than it was. I think, I think the thematically of like repeating, like, you know, that you, you're trying to, to get out underneath the shadow of your history and your family. And there's a lot of that here. And then with like the true not where it's like, this is a way of life they've had, and this is how they're going to exist. And there's that sense of family and going forward too. There's a lot of themes that you can latch onto that make sense on the surface and you can take the emotional depth from it. I just think the original shining doesn't, it has the intellectual depth, you know, and I'm not saying this is a dumb movie, you know, even though I'd argue the very beginning, when you see that little girl, Violet being, uh, you know, enticed by Rose, it reminded me really a lot of, um, Jurassic park Two. whenever the little girl was on the beach and the little tiny dinosaur showed up and she's like, Oh, they're all cute. And they just attacked her. Like, I <laughs> <laughs> don't think that was that different. Um, and I also just want to mention too, that like Flanagan has a love of all things. King, uh, snake by nanny, who was the one that was able to like mentally or like vocally say things to people. They called her a pusher in the film, which is how they also described the father and firestarter, which was also another King property where because of government testing, he was able to put like telepathic thoughts in people's heads to make them take action. So that specifically was used. So that's a reference to firestarter. And then also at one point, whenever uh, a holleram was talking to Danny about fate, he told him cause a wheel. I don't know if you heard that that line in the movie. So I saw it in the trivia, and I was like trying to remember if he said. I'm sure it's in there. He straight says it caused a wheel, and I'm like, <gasps> I got really excited. That's a Dark Tower reference because okay. that, that's what they call that's what they call fates is Ka, and fate always comes around. So the fact that they had holler and call say cause a wheel, I'm like, you're not. You shouldn't pander to me, but I love it. Like <laughs> so. Uh, so there's a lot in there that you can tell that he loves, you yeah. know, King. So, yeah, I just, if, if you would have told me like, how do you tie these together? I would not have found a way through. He did. Um, I just, I just think that there's a, just a little, little too much reverence at the end for the shining. Like you had a chance to make this your own entirely and use the bones. But I also feel like tacking on the ending of the original shining of blowing up the overlook by using the boiler. Like, I just feel like that's the way King got on. He's like, oh, we get to blow it up now? We're good. Like, because <laughs> yeah. he says, did you see, did you watch the little special feature right at the end? Uh, I, um, I didn't watch any of the. Um, there's only like a five minute thing. And here's here's a spoiler for you. Um, here, here Here's a spoiler for me. Game over, yeah. You texted me as I was halfway through watching the movie that you had bought it for your voodoo. <gasps> I had already bought it on my Amazon. <laughs> and I'm. I didn't think you would have bought it that Friday. I was going to send you my information to watch it, and I didn't want you to feel bad. I was like, how much did you spend on that? <laughs> <laughs> so we now both have paid full price for this director's oh, cut of this, this film. This might be the most expensive episode we've uh, ever done. So if you guys yeah. would give us money, that would be great. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny. I'm glad that I made that purchase. Um, well, I'm glad it's that, not going to sit in my voodoo, unfortunately. And this is not me shit kicking wi- uh, wizards, but uh, I'm probably never going to watch uh, wizards again. Yeah, but it's like now my, my now my Amazon has Doctor Sleep director's cut, um, a really cool South uh, South African western that I like a great deal, and Shocking Dark. 
Like, it's oh. just like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway. Uh, but it was just funny. You're like, I bought it. I'm like, oh, did you? Because I was going to like be like, you know... <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I will definitely be revisiting it again. So it was, Good. It was a worthy purchase. No. And in the, for a three-hour film, it cruises. Yeah. Like, and the showdown and the um, the the park, like the the state park, is really cool. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to mention, yeah, just I just that whole thing. There's there's a lot of good in this movie. And again, trying to serve two masters and make it its own thing. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, I'm glad that you love. I'm really glad that for someone that is not bringing the knowledge of two books into this that you liked it a great deal. Yeah. And as we end this, uh, I want to just talk about one, one little thing looking to the future. Um, and it's just something that I'm really hoping happens. Um, back when they were making before, like David Gordon green was announced, uh, as directing 2018's Halloween, uh, Mike Flanagan, you know, one of the people that Blumhouse approached, and he couldn't find an idea for it, and he said, you know, a lot of his, a lot of ways, his Hush was his Halloween. That's so fair, he's yeah. like, you know, I never really got to a point where I had an idea to pitch it, but then this is from around the time when Doctor Sleep came out. Uh, he did happen to mention that he's got a killer idea for Nightmare on Elm Street. I desperately want Michael Flanagan to do. A, or Mike Flanagan to do a Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't. I'm not somebody who normally, normally, normally is Nominally. all about the reboot. But it, even if it's a reboot, I'm okay with it. Like I would like to see him do it with Robert Englund. And this is not even a thing that's been announced, or even if he's even gotten a pitch on it. But man, oh man, if there's a, if there's any justice in this world, seeing what he did with Doctor Sleep. I would love to see what a Mike Flanagan nightmare on Elm Street would look like. That could also be called Doctor Sleep. That'd be you know. That would be fair. <laughs> Maybe he'll just cast you and McGregor. Who be knows? Sleep PhD. No. Um, so, yeah, I, and there's a lot more to Doctor Sleep that we didn't even get to. However, if if the the genesis conversation is that how do we how would we feel about a cinematic continuation of The Shining that has no right to exist but somehow is able to walk a line between the film, the original book, the second book, and then interpreting, like interpreting, uh, interpreting the second book into a film that is a cohesive narrative, you know, like, and, and also I just, yeah, just the whole bit, whenever Rose, the hat was inside Abra's mind, that was a trap. Mm-hmm. And then the, how that was probably the best sequence in the film, like how everything kind of just turned with the filing cabinets. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. you know, you've not seen uh, Gerald's game, but there's a lot of similarities between what happens to hands oh, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> way worse than Gerald's game. And you need to watch Gerald's game like ASAP. Like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's messed up and interesting. Uh, so yeah, I, I came into this film much like you kind of like, like kind of like ah, fine, you know, like I wanted to watch it cause I, I had interest. I've read the book, you know, but I also felt like I owed it to myself for as lukewarm as I have felt about the shining to see how I'd feel about someone that adores the movie and the book, how they would go forward with it. And there's a lot here. I like, so yeah. Um, if you guys have uh, seen Dr. Sleep or read the book or both, please let us know what your thoughts and feelings are on our Facebook page. It's a uh, Facebook invasion of the podcast. We have a blog um, that has things on it. You should go read some of those things. Uh, it's invasion the I, we, I know we're in our year of animation, but it's just, I still have an itching for like watching like 
weird Italian films and Westerns and writing about them. I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, since the year of the Western part two, on part, the blog. part seven. I don't know. Yeah, it might happen. I, I think I'm going to force you during like July to make you watch the wild bunch. Cause I think it's the 50th anniversary at that okay. time. Uh, so there's gonna be some Western talk because I've been itching to talk about some of that. Okay. Um, you guys can, uh, if you however get your podcast, whether it's through Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Music, um, Podbean, uh, you know, Marks, I don't know, uh, AOL, AOL discs in the mail. If you can find us, rate and review us, that'd be greatly appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com where we're updating uh, the site every Saturday night with a new page of the story. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher and on Etsy if you want to buy a physical copy of the comic. It's Art of the Slash. Perfect. All right. So now, uh, so I kind of. We'll, we'll get to the game. I'll explain. I, I misunderstood what the actual day was, and I made a game that's kind of like what the, the day is, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so March 2nd was called Old Stuff Day. I thought it was just like old day. So I was like, okay, this must be people like, like – bringing out their old stuff like yard sales and stuff. Okay. I misunderstood that completely. So I decided to make a game that was based upon like what, what is older. So well, I'll give you an example here in a second. Let me, let me bring up my information cause I was talking about it and didn't have it in front of me. Here we go. Where's it at? I have it labeled as old game. So like if I said to you, what is older top gunner, iron Eagle? Well, now I know we, the answer. We now Iron know, Eagle. yeah. Iron Eagle came out before Top Gun, right? So I have a couple things here. I'm going to ask you what what was what is older. Okay. So, so you tell me. Um, Carl's Jr. or Hardee's? I'm going to say Hardee's. So Hardee's as a restaurant with their thick burger and thick shakes and uh, diabetes in a can, it was first uh, the first one opened on uh, June 23rd, 1960. Carl's Jr. opened up July 17th, 1941. Really? They're now both the same thing. I was like, going to say, I don't know that I've ever eaten at a Carl's Jr. No, it's all wet. Like you go past the Mississippi, it's Carl's Jr., but if you stay on the East Coast, it's, it's Hardee's now. Okay. So it's the same thing now, but it wasn't always. And I, Interesting. Yeah. And because I decided, I, I guess I was hungry that day, what came first, McDonald's or White Castle? trying to think um i'm gonna say white castle only because i feel like mcdonald's i don't know if you've seen that movie the founder with michael keaton not yet no it's a really good movie he plays ray Kroc, and you find out how he kind of stole mcdonald's away from the two brothers who founded it like a vulture yeah basically <laughs> good call um they they had the brothers had considered franchising it uh and tried it and after a couple of stores failed they decided not to do it um so i'm gonna say that white castle was around before because possibly they may have franchised first so in regard to the franchising i'm not sure about so mcdonald's first launched with mcdonald brothers in april 15th 1955 White Castle was September 13, 1921. They were one of the first uh, fast food chains 
that at the time people like so a hamburger was viewed as like garbage food because like it was it it, is. well no, they're wonderful um but like well they're wonderful but, but in terms not of good for you no, it's all fast food uh so uh what would so at the time people viewed like like ground beef as like being bad in terms of like like it was bad and not not health wise but like dangerous for you they actually made it a point of actually bringing their their um like their cooking apparatus like the big like you know grill in in the storefront so people could see them making the food as they waited. Okay. And that was a big seal of quality to be like, here's your food. And they also did like the take home sack type thing. So White Castle was actually really successful first. And then other companies kind of came along and did it better. But like they were known for showing you how the food was made. And then you bought it for like an affordable price. Well, the reason I know that is because there was a modern Marvels, like AMC or sorry, history on Marvel Marvels about like fast food. And I'm like, oh, White Castle was leading the way. That doesn't make sense. So anyway, piece of trivia: never yeah. eaten at a White, White Castle. I have uh, because before they uh, closed in Cleveland, they they would do this thing where it's like you could order a bunch of little tiny because they'd steam their burgers, right? That was the whole thing they steamed. You could buy like almost mm, it was like it was, it was like uh, yeah, it was steamed hams, like a suitcase, like a cardboard suitcase full of mini burgers. <laughs> And I did that once because I'm like, I wanted to walk out. I wanted like a cardboard handcuff to go over as I was walking out. <laughs> There's no White Castles in Cleveland anymore. Like the ones that were here were closed. And so like you could drive by the ghosts of White Castle, you know, um, you'd have Ewan McGregor there just telling you like, stay away from the White Castle. That'll be the fourth uh, Harold and Kumar. <laughs> directed by Mike Flanagan. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, Harold Kumar go to the Overlook White Castle. All right. So, all right. Um, <clears throat> which came first, uh, Donkey Kong or Pac-Man? Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong as a game was first released uh, July 9th, 1981. Pac-Man was in July 1980. Wow. I am really bad at this. No, it just, a lot of these I was coming up with as I was going along. It's like, oh, these weren't that far away from each other. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a coin flip. All right, here's one. Uh, Milwaukee's Best or Paps Blue Ribbon? Oh, man, I'm going to say Paps. I feel like so, Paps has been like some sort of American institution. So Paps Blue Ribbon officially was, it was called like Milwaukee's something, something, Paps Blue Ribbon, whatever. 1844. Um, it actually ended up winning a, um, it, it ended up winning a Blue Ribbon at the Chicago World's Fair, which I think that's where the Blue Ribbon title came from in like the 1880s. So the Paps beer was in 1884. Milwaukee's best, 1895. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of these breweries that actually survived through prohibition because now we're at a point where like the brewery situation that we actually have more breweries now than we did before prohibition. But that took a long time because a lot of that got shut down because of, you know, prohibition. All right. Old Milwaukee's Beast. Yes. Uh, the first PDF versus the first text message. Which I wrote as fist text message. So <laughs> I feel like the PDF has to come first. First PDF, which we know from Adobe Acrobat or whatever. Uh, the first PDF that like so this was in terms of release of the program. Okay, uh, was uh, June fifteenth, nineteen ninety three. First text message as we now know it, December third, nineteen ninety two. What to yeah. who and by I don't what? Know. And it said send nudes. I think is what it said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right um all right so this one goes into architecture uh the st louis gateway arch um which came first that or the space needle in seattle 
Well, let's see. I think it's probably the arch, but since I'm doing so poorly in this, I'm going to say the Seattle Space Needle. Okay. Well, Space Needle, uh, the completed date, because I didn't start like uh, start date, December 8th, 1961. The Gateway Arch, the completed date was February 12th, 1963. So congratulations. Uh, I feel I, like that was a weird time in the early 60s where it's like, hey, we're a big city. What kind of what, what can we put on our city that's going to end up on a map that people that's going to identify us by? That's it. And what did Cleveland have? A fire, a, a river that was on fire, unfortunately, at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. <clears throat> what came first, the slinky or the hula hoop? Hula hoop. Hula hoop, as we now know it, which I feel like is just a hoop people could hoop with. But the, what we know is the hula hoop, 1958. Slinky, 1943. Oh. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that, I think it was right after World War II. They're like, well, we're going to do all this metal. That's not true. That didn't happen. I don't understand why I'm doing so badly at this. Because <laughs> these are all things that have existed like, in our, <laughs> our, our minds, like side by side, right? Um, and also, you think it's a hoop versus a coil of metal. Like, right. you know, so, all right. Uh, <clears throat> which which uh, fun snack came first, Jiffy Pop or Pixie Sticks? Pixie Sticks. Pixie Sticks came out in 1942. Jiffy Pop was 1958. Oh, I got that one right. No, you said Jiffy Pop was older, right? No, no I, don't know. I said Pixie okay, Sticks. Okay, you said, well, we'll check the tape. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I just like, it's like sugar. Did I think Pixie Sticks and say Jiffy Pop? I don't know. I don't I know just, anymore. It's, but I like, it's like sugar in a tube? Yeah, we'll just admit that. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, this is more uh, like uh, like beverage and snacks. Kool Aid or Fanta? I'm gonna say Fanta came first. So Fanta came out in 1940, and it was because that in Germany they had limited access to materials to make soda because there was like you know I don't know all the wars and stuff, so they had to come up with like their own like sodas. So they use like beet sugar and stuff to come up with a Fanta. So if you ever have a Fanta now, you realize that it's because Nazis needed soda. Like it's weird. I don't already. I already don't drink Fanta. Yeah, so but I you should. It's... I mean, you know, it's. <laughs> where where are we going with this, Paul? <laughs> no, no, I can't say it. I can't say it. I'm gonna say it. it's the final solution for all your thirst needs. That's what I'm gonna say. God. No, no. Uh, so Fanta 1940, um, Kool Aid 1927. Oh, wow. Yeah. Again, I sugar just, water, I guess. For whatever reason, yeah. I assumed that Kool-Aid was like a 50s thing. Yeah, me too. It's, that was weird to me, right? So last one here, just because I've always wondered, who came first, Garfield or Heathcliff? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Heathcliff. Heathcliff was first published September 3rd, 1973. Garfield, June 19th, 1978. But I feel like Heathcliff is like the lesser of the two cats now. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. Garfield is the uh, knockoff of uh, Heathcliff. It apparently. is. And if you look at Heathcliff now, which was, he, I think he's drawn by like the nephew of the creator. It's getting weird. Like really? you should, it's just getting out there. It doesn't make sense. It's just like, I, it's funny, I guess. I just, it makes me wonder if it's like, he's like, it's Heathcliff. What are you going to do? You like boot me out of syndication? Like it's getting, it's just getting just weird. That's interesting. Yeah. So. 
All right, so that's that's the game based upon what came first because I misunderstood what the holiday was on uh, Monday uh, for Old Stuff Day. Uh, it says here, uh, was it? Like, there are a few reasons why Old Stuff Day may be celebrated. One reason for the day relates to the phrase, the same old stuff, a response often given when people ask what's new. Nope. That's I didn't misunderstood it. So I just want to show you that the he, the, the heading image was like someone that has like like they have a nice two car garage. Yeah. And it's like it's like a yard sale where it's like, hey, did anybody want to buy like seven snowboards? And like it's just this is the yard sales that you go to and you're like, I can't buy any of this stuff. I'm out of here. Like right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, looks like it's in Colorado. It's like, hey guys, I have this used axe. Used used axe. Used axe. That's only been used like twice. You know. Or a hedge maze. Yeah, anyway, so, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about some fan art and the merits of that. Um, it's going to be more of a philosophical discussion about mm-hmm. fan art. Uh, I'm not making fan art. You know, Steve does sometimes, and we'll talk about that. So. Yeah, in light of Wizard World happening this weekend and myself not attending and Paul being a question mark, trying yeah. to tie it into the event and, and uh, that neither of us may be attending. Um, <laughs> I but, mean, just a heads up, guys, if you're going to go looking for a panel from us, it's not going to be there. Yeah, yeah. talking about uh, what the, uh, you know, what what is fan art and what are the... You know, parameters, what do people think about when they buy their artwork, those types of things, and yeah. what happens when your work gets stolen. Yeah. So in the meantime, go support Steve's work. Don't steal it. And uh, we'll talk more about fan art next week. You and can't steal it. I'm giving it away for free, for God's sake. That's true, but don't steal it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a safe week. Um, I don't know. Uh, the, the red rum. There's no. We didn't even talk about red rum. Red Robin. What? Red Robin. Yes. In the meantime, <laughs> red Robin. Yum.